facing the wall ways. Don't you cough on me. <laughs> Don't cough. <laughs> Keep that hazmat suit on. All right. Dispatches from Planet Funk. This is the Aced Out Podcast. Dedicated to all whom the man tried to ace out. By profiting from the soul. Without stopping to give props to the prophets of soul. Mm-hmm. That's correct. This is Ace Allen, a.k.a. Barack Wayne, brought to you by the letter P, and we're sponsored by Pete, people for the ethical treatment of ear holes. And all of us here, we are Funkin' Fam Affiliated, because funk is spelled fun with a K, and that's why they pronounce it funky, right, Jay? That's right, brother. Jay Stone, I haven't seen you in a while. Man, been this... locked up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> been locked up. And, uh, wow, this is weird. I'm, we're doing a little social distancing this time with ASAP Podcast. I'm looking at Jay Stone through a window, basically. It's kind of yeah. cool. It looks like he's on the spaceship. I'm like Robin from Howard Stern. <laughs> you look like Robin from Howard Stern in the glass booth. He's going to do the news later. Um, well, it finally happened, Jay Stone. <laughs> My head finally exploded Man. because we just done did it. We yeah, haven't yeah. even had 10 episodes. This is our ninth episode, yeah. and we just interviewed a horny horn. Yes, sir. It actually happened. What do you think of that? What just happened that interview, Jay Stone? Man, history and uh, just phenomenal uh, talk about the dynamics of the plane yes. and what's going on behind the scenes and all that stuff. Rick is a cool dude. Phen- phenomenal is right. And we're talking about the man named Rick Gardner. Yes, sir. 25% of the horny horns, the horny horns who are the horn section for Parliament Funkadelic and, of course, Bootsy's Rubber Band. And they also have their own albums as well. Rick Gardner is what's known as a power trumpet, the rubber horn. And he played with none other than Jay Stone, Fred Wesley on trombone. Nice. The famous band leader, trombonist, superstar, uh, a jazz cat, but got uh, got known in James Brown. Yes. Maceo, Maceo Parker, and Cush Griffith. That's Richard Cush Griffith. All right. Also on trumpet, so that's two trumpets. Nice. And all three of those people are XJBs. And then you got Rick. Um, the Brecker Brothers, they used to record also with Parliament, uh, J. Stone, but they were not band members. Okay, just the, Yeah, the Horny Horns, those were the guys. Okay. And Rick is an OG Horny Horn. He was on the first Bootsy uh, solo album, Bootsy's Rubber Band album. And he's even in there before Kush, so he even precedes him by about a year. Wow. So he debuted, I'm talking about Rick, uh, Rick Gardner, on Stretching Out with yeah. Gucci's Rubber Band. He came in on that album. Uh, Fred Wesley pulled him in. Uh, this was after the Mothership album, so after that. Okay. Subsequently, Rick appeared on albums such as Funkintelliki vs. The Placebo Syndrome, right. Motor Booty Affair, <laughs> Jay Stone, uh. Uh, The Name is Bootsy, Clones of Dr. Funkenstein, Jay wow. Stone, Harlette, uh. Bernie Worrell's solo album, Man. and I mentioned before the Horny Horns album. That's he true. also played with Marvin Gaye. 
Until he got fired <laughs> and hired again. Yeah. <laughs> We're just teasing him. And there's actually a, a DVD of that, uh, him playing live at Montreux wow. uh, from 1980, also with Kush. And these days, Rick Gardner has his own music licensing business, and he does his own music. And it's really good, and we're going to listen to that uh, as well. Uh, Chase Stone, so we're back. I didn't think we were going to do an episode, you know, everything's on lockdown. And I didn't want to really have in-studio guests right now. But I did get the call from J-Dub. Right. J-W out there in Detroit. And he's like, come on, man, I want another episode of A-Stop Podcast. Come on, dog. You know, he's always like, come on, dog. Yeah. And he said, have you heard of Rick Gardner? And I said, have I heard of Rick Gardner? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, he could get it on the show. Wow. So, you know, he told me uh, some phone numbers to call him. Told me he's out there in Colorado. Okay. So J-Dub told, told me it was cool. I, I called up. Uh, Rick answered the phone. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I actually, I messed up. I called his wife's phone. Okay. So I heard about that later, too, by uh, the way. <laughs> his wife answered. And then, then Rick picked up the phone. Okay. Hi, I'm Ace Allen. You know, yeah. I'm Ace Allen. Ace Allen Podcast, da-da-da. I'd love to interview you. You know, a friend with JW. Yeah. He said, yeah, okay. How long is this going to take, man? <laughs> I was like, zoinks! You know, <laughs> flop sweat just dumps from my forehead, just rains over my hand. I was like, uh, well, I want to do a long interview. I want to talk to you for a while. He's like, I did a podcast before, man. Uh-huh. I said, oh, okay, well, how did he's like, I didn't like it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So, uh, you know, Niagara Falls coming out of each armpit, you know. Right. So I'm, now I'm really sweating. But I like that. He's got me on my toes, right? This man doesn't suffer fools, right? Right. So I gave him my pitch, you know. And pitching a podcast, it's not like pitching a movie. I'm not like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. riding down Hollywood Boulevard, you know, with my top down. I'm right. going to put your name in lights. I'm like, oh, I'm going right. <laughs> to. You know what I mean? It's right. not that like that. So I'm selling my podcast. I tell him how much we care about them. Yeah. How much we love them. How much we want to talk about how the funky sausage is made and yeah. talk about the music and talk about his career. Yeah. And, you know, he's kind of like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And finally, after a while, the, the ice started to melt. And then he started, he, then he said, because I was saying, like, you know, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to research. And he's like, uh-huh, right. I, like what, I like what I'm hearing. Okay. You're going to prepare, huh? Yeah. And then he really started to chill out. All right. And then we just started to talk and just have a good time. Niceness. And subsequently, you know, uh, oh, by the way, because I asked him, I said, well, what was it? You know, what bo- what bothered you? And he said, well, I'm talking about the other interview. Oh, the podcast? Uh-huh. They weren't really looking out for my best interests, he said. And they're trying to act like other people did stuff that uh, I didn't do or something like that. I see. So in other words, I understood that, that to mean he wasn't getting his propers. Mm-hmm. So I said, we are going to give you your propers. And as soon as I explained that... Um, I had subsequent, you know, four or five different conversations with him. Yeah. I uh, even spoke to his wife a couple times. Very nice. And turned out to be a really cool dude. Sweet. You guys are going to love this interview. And like Jay Stone just said, um, it's really something else. And he actually got deeper with us, Jay Stone, than mm-hmm. I thought he was going to be. Yeah. And even more reflective. But he also talked about a lot of technical stuff, too. And you know that I'm all, I go gaga over the technical stuff. Right. So it's really great, and it's great for people of all ages. People that go back to the P-Funk days and young kids out there listening. No we doubt. We encourage you to listen to this interview. I'm telling um, you. Yeah. 
Um, by the way, I was talking about in-person guests, Jay Stone. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to have the great Wayne Foot of Slave in, right? Right. Uh, you and I think your brother, too, are hooking that up. Yeah. You guys are related, right? Yeah, pretty much. We all grew up together. I mean... I'm I'm a little bit younger, but you know they they were always at the house, Wayne, and you know all the way. He lived in Daly City, right? And um, you know, so we were always always hanging with my cousins and um, the family and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. So I, sorry about that. Uh, let him know. Uh, hopefully he's listening, or you could just let him know. Oh yeah. I just didn't want to have a bunch of in person guests because I want to. We want to play uh, live with him too. Do some music oh, yeah. too. He's down, man. He sent me a text not too long ago saying once this is all over, he he wants to come down. Oh great. That's yeah, beautiful. That's sure. a beautiful thing. Yeah. I want to make sure I say hello also to Funkonauts because I'm just not seeing you guys. Yes, sir. Uh, McFab, you know, uh, uh, Brother P, Brother Patrick P. Owens. What's up? Rick Campbell. Rick Campbell, you need to get your props. Pickle Rick. <laughs> Osha. <laughs> Osha. Osha, where you at, man? Come on, guys. Yeah. Juan Carlos. Dre. Funkonauts. Uh, Coyote. What yeah. about Coyote, What's man? What's up with it? <laughs> Uh, what's up, guys? We got to get together soon. Maybe we should do like a, some kind of, uh, I don't know, use oh, this man. technology, do something online, do some kind of concert. Yeah. We got to do something, right? I, I, man, you know what would be cool is to play down at the Twin, twin Towers and record it for a video. Yeah, you we got to do mean? something. That'll yeah, something protesty, but Yeah, cool. right. Something provocative. Yeah. All right, we'll get that together. You hear that, Waze? Write this down. You're all <laughs> over there. By the way, um, speaking of uh, the podcast and stuff, episode eight. People gave us mad props for episode eight, our stymie episode, Jay Stone. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot of activity from social media. Please check that out, you guys. That the was unbelievable nice. stymie. Uh, J Dub even liked it. He said, Stymie's a bad motherfucker, man. Yeah. And people, I think they loved it because um, there's that anticipation built up from the music video. Mm-hmm. And I want to give mad props oh, yeah. to Nick, aka Waze, our guy, because. In addition to engineering that, he actually uh, filmed, uh, shot, and edited the whole thing. Yeah. I didn't even look over his shoulder on that one. He just kind of did it on his own. And it was a beautiful vid. Lots of people watched it. If you go on YouTube, Jay Stone, it says like 90 people watched it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's being counted on our social media through that. Yeah. So it's actually in the thousands. So I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at it. If you look at that count, you're like, wah, wah. Yeah. No, no. It's, it's like hella people. I actually got oh, like man. alerts today that people are still watching that video. I could imagine. That's our live performance for Stymie. Yeah. And it really came out well. You played good on that too, my brother. Thank you, man. Uh, I try. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, shout out to our Scorsese house. That's Nick. And he did a great job on that. And we'll definitely do uh, live stuff in the future. Mm-hmm. It was that that episode actually we cut out like fifteen or twenty minutes. <laughs> uh, remember, we played stuff from my solo album and stuff. Yeah, we, yeah. we talked a lot. It was so long, you know. It was still like two hours and twenty minutes that episode, but I actually edited out like fifteen twenty minutes because we just had to cut it down. We were having so much fun. Fun, we just lost track of time. <laughs> and uh, I really screwed up on the production of that. Remember how it was raining really hard that day? Oh yeah, yeah, I do remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like Stymie you know when people are trying to get in touch with you so much they're like just talking to themselves like he sent me so many messages he's trying to get in touch with me yeah and I just slept on it I was like doing errands just walking around I looked at my phone there's like 94 messages from Stymie it's like <laughs> hey man it's raining uh, you know I don't know it's gonna be kind of hard for me to get there you know cause yeah. he doesn't have a car you know that's right so he's just like you know give me a call back okay man it's raining really hard now uh-huh. blah 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 <laughs> next one Okay, man. Um, hey, look, man. 
If I have to rent a car that I have to come out of pocket, I don't think that's fair, man. And it's your show. And <coughs> Next one. Okay, man, uh, the rain stopped, so I'm going to come on through. And then the, the problem just solved itself. Right. <laughs> and I came at like the tail. I just felt like horrible. So I'm right. like, oh, my God, sorry about that. But I wound up picking them up. It was kind of beautiful. Then the rain stopped. Right. And then we pulled up here. We saw you. Yes. And we all walked in together. And it was like a really, really cool vibe. And that was a great show. And actually, I, I wanted to tell you, uh, Jay Stone, when I was giving him a ride home, uh-huh. and he was out in the boonies too, by the way. I felt bad. Good thing he didn't have to uh, go through the rain. Yeah. He said, hey, man, I was embarrassed to say, is that a... Is that a Fun- uh, Funkonaut song That theme song I Can Never Be That first song You know Yeah yeah I was like yeah yeah And he's like wow man So that's good man I thought that was like A Funkin I was embarrassed I thought that was A Funkadelic song And I hadn't heard it before wow. <laughs> <laughs> He's all you know When you're like embarrassed Like I'm all I thought I should know it But I, I didn't want to Say nothing man Wow So he, conf- thanks, he confided in me later so yeah, yeah 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 Good thing But um, I wound up seeing uh, Stymie and the Pimp Jones Love Orchestra Perform uh, At the Elbow Room Oh yeah He announced it He said it was February 31st Yeah None of us figured out that There's no such thing As February yeah, 31st Yeah yeah, yeah sure. It was on February 28th And I went and saw him <laughs> Elbow Room in Oakland Not, uh, not San Francisco Yeah It was a great show Actually he did Double Duty He played with Soul Ska Uh huh and uh, it was great to see everybody. You know, I saw Joe. Yeah. Renee's oh, back yeah. in the band. Sweet. Uh, Paul Sloan on guitar. I saw him, Simon on keyboards. But you know what was so funny about that night? You remember in episode seven, we were talking to Robin Russell. Yeah. Remember he was doing a gig and because he's such a badass drummer? Mm-hmm. Like he's playing somewhere and another drummer ran up. He's like, hey, man, who are you? Right. Who right. are you? <laughs> I didn't even realize, but I did the same thing to Stymie's drummer. Like they did the show and stuff. Yeah. And I jumped right on the stage. And it's like, you know, I went right, r- jumped right in front of the drum set. Yeah. I was like, hey, who are you, man? Who are you? you know? <laughs> and he was like, oh, oh, you know, he's like, what yeah. the hell? You know, I, I might have drinking, been drinking a little bit of vodka too. So right. it's kind of like loud. And he's all, man, I'm Loring or whatever. And I was like, hey, man, I'm Ace Allen. I used to play in this band. Yeah. You are bad, man. I'm, I'm jealous of you guys. You too, man. And the bass player sitting right there. His name is Toads. Okay. And I'm all, you too. And he's all, oh, you Ace Allen, man? Yeah, yeah I've seen you before, man. Yeah, the bass player is kind of like that. Right. But, dude, their rhythm section is bad. And then once he figured out that, you know, that was some freak just yelling at him. He's all, oh, thanks, man. Thanks, Ace, man. I'm talking about Loring, the drummer. So yeah, yeah. they were hyped up. But I just want to shout them out. He has, like, the best rhythm section going on. That's and sweet. the band is excellent right now. Is and that the same drummer we played with in the city? It's not. It's no, not. no. Okay. I actually, no, I would have known him. Okay. So, yeah, it's not. It's a dude, a cat. I actually think he's been in the band for a while because I think I've seen his picture before. Uh-huh. But I've never seen him play before. He had he had the real thick Bigfoot. He had the Bigfoot kind of drone barely going on. It, right. it was very, very good. What I was going to say, though, is in the audience there, I actually ran into... Somebody who's stymie adjacent, an, an artist named Emily Palin, yeah. who's in this absolutely fantastic band called Nitrous M1. Uh-huh. And that's Nitrous, it's spelled like night, like uh, with a K. Yeah. And she is a violin player. Actually, remember how I told you I wanted to get that violin yeah, wow. player on Barack Wayne? Yeah. That's, that's her. Uh, I, I wasn't able to get her at the time. Yeah. But anyway, I saw her in the audience, and we go way back. She used to gig all the time with Stymie, and right. I would deal with her because I did a lot of the Stymie business, like booking and stuff. Uh-huh. 
And so I just know her really well. I played with her before. She's great and ran into her. And you know, I haven't seen a lot of these people in a while because I was living in Atlanta. Right. And anyway, I asked her, "Have you? do you know I have a podcast? She said, yeah, I do know it's a thing. She hasn't heard it, but she knew it. Mm -hmm. So I told her she's got to come on. Yeah. So we're going to have her come on as well. And that'll Sweet. be another great live performance. I don't know how to describe her music. It's like Bad Brains meets, like, I don't know, uh... Fiona Apple or something. I don't even know what okay. to call it, but she plays it's the violin. Totally original. But plays it like the guitar. Like she plugs it in an amp, like yeah. like stacks. Oh man. Like uh, distortion. Dope. Like heavy metal. Like wow. badass. And uh, it's very feral. It's very intense. Yeah, I want to uh, check she, that out. Yeah, so she's gonna come on the show as well. And Emily I can't, Palin. Yeah, Emily Palin. Okay. I call her Emily Van Palin. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, she's great. Shout out to her. She's on lockdown as well. Um. Anyway, you guys. The South is back. I noticed in our last episode that people in the South are listening to us right. even more. They kind of fell off before, but they're back. I want to say hello to Aced Out Podcast listeners in Texas, in Tennessee, in yes. North Carolina, Florida, Jay Stone, yeah. Louisiana. Uh -huh. Keep healthy, Louisiana. Keep your head up out there. I yeah. know you're having a hard time, especially in New Orleans, mm -hmm. South Carolina. People in Mississippi listen to Aced Out Podcast. And Mississippi is some beautiful country. It's a really beautiful place. Hmm. Georgia, yeah. Indiana, and up. Alabama, Jay Stone. Yeah. And that's also some beautiful country. Uh, people in Pennsylvania, Jay Stone. Vermont. <laughs> Bernie Sanders say Vermont. Vermont. Ohio. Ohio. Arkansas. Joyzy's listening to us. Michigan. Yeah. Maryland. South Dakota that's is listening up, to man. us. Peace. I want to say what's up to this dude named... Marky Mark and SF, who spells the name with no vowels, so it's like Mark, you know, yeah. it's no vowels. <laughs> Always making comments on the Ace Out Podcast website about how much he's digging the episode. Cool. He's done Shout it more Marky than once, so I just want to shout you out specifically. Yeah. Our listeners in Harlem, J Stone. Wow. San Jose, Chicago, J Stone. That's what's up. LA, and especially Long Beach and Portland. Yeah. We've got listeners in Germany. We talked about that actually with uh, Rick cool. Gardner. Yeah, we did. The Germany connection. That's deep. German funk. Italy, Italia. Yeah, take care, y'all. Brazil. Uh huh. Spain. The UK. Wow. We always have Heka listeners in Japan. Yes. And uh, the Philippines. Niceness. Vietnam is deep. I don't know what's up. Vietnam likes Ace Out Podcast, man. Yeah. They're down with it. People in Hanoi, they're digging it. Malaysia. Nepal, Sri Lanka, and Thailand, J Stone. Niceness. Do That's you know beautiful. you can get an Aced Out podcast sticker? We have two available. Really? You don't even have to pay for it. Just shoot me a message through our uh, Aced Out podcast page or any other ways to contact us, you know, through the... Uh, I see it all, you know, through our different channels. Yeah. Ask for a sticker. We have two. We have one of our logo, the Aced Out podcast logo, the classic sticker, and... Um, our IT woman in art. Yeah. Three charts. Sorry, I had to clear my throat. <laughs> Three charts. <laughs> I need I a drink of water, you. all right? I need a drink of water. Why'd you have to bust me? She made another sticker, and it says, I dove deep with the Ace Out podcast. And it's got like a scuba diver. I dove deep with oh, the Ace nice. Out podcast. And we got that. It's a brand new sticker. I got to give you guys a copy. I don't even think you have it yet. Niceness. Give me your address. Send me a message. Give me your mailing address. I will pop it in the mail for you. I don't care. It's just a stamp. It doesn't cost that much. That's beautiful, man. ASL Podcast sticker. Y'all get it. Yeah, listen. Listen to us on Stitcher. 
Stitcher is a great place to listen to us. I love Stitcher. Spotify. Yeah. Apple Podcast. But not Spreaker, Jay Stone. Why not? Spreaker is fucked up. Oh. Spreaker only has up to episode six for some reason. Yeah. And we can't update it. We've tried every workaround, every solve. Wow. There's some kind of bug with Spreaker. Wow. And they're not representing. Spreaker, you better step up to the plate. They're not stepping up. Jeez. But you know what? That doesn't matter because you can go to Aced Out podcast.com that's a-c-e-d-o-u-t-p-o-d-c-a-s-t i think that'd be the best place. Com. why would that be the best place you tell them because it's f u in with a k <laughs> <laughs> that was is that your improvisation i was trying to lead i wanted you to say it because you could see pictures jason that's right because you can check it out yeah. because you look at text about the artist that's right child. that's, I can that's see what you were gonna that. say yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too, right? Anyway, you know what we're going to do, Jay Stone? What's that? We're getting ready to listen to this interview with Rick Gardner. Hey, man. You know what we're going to play? You know how we're going to raise the roof? How's that? Are you ready for this? Let's do it. DJ Waves. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, we're gaming yeah. on you, Jay Stone. That's what's up. The horny horns with the rubber horn man. Ricky G, uh! Somebody do the robot. Sick. feel like Glenn Goins, Jay. Right? <laughs> yeah. Glenn and, and Gary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Glenn
Goins and Gary Scheider, those are two of the best singers ever, right, Rick? Without a doubt, Glenn may be the, the, the best singer ever, period. Why did you love uh, Glenn Goins uh, singing so much? Well, if you'd be on stage with him, it'd be a no-brainer. His uh, tone was so powerful and so pure that actually he, it resonated through the stage. Mm. Mm. It was uh, not like anybody else I'd ever heard. Yeah. And uh, his heart was absolutely pure. What do you mean by that? I just mean he was a spiritual being. Wow. Um, I remember one time he uh, sang to one of the one of the girls in the parlets was sick, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he stayed up. And we did a gig, but he stayed up all night singing to her to make her feel better. Wow. <laughs> and they, with his ovation uh, guitar. <laughs> some of his original stuff. Wow. Which, uh, yeah, it, it, he was just an exceptional person. <laughs> That's really beautiful. Yeah. And I, oh, yeah, and I love the Quasar stuff, man. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, Rick, and uh, I found a great quote from you, actually, from... Uh, it's the George Clinton and P-Funk oral history. Uh, I, I remember it was on my shelf. I bought it back in the 90s. And there's actually a really cool quote from you that I think will set off this interview right uh, in this book, you say, I would say that the horny horns were the most influential part of Parliament and Bootsy's rubber band because of the James Brown influence. In other words, you're getting the arranging skills of Fred Wesley plus the soloing skills of Maceo Parker. And Cush and Rick, you're calling yourself Rick there, a third person, <laughs> were like icing on the cake. Power! And you put this on top of that dynamite funkadelic rhythm section. And that's yeah. you. And you're here to say, basically, to, to summarize, Rick, you're, in other words, you're saying, you're welcome. <laughs> if uh, P-Funk <laughs> got gold records and platinum records, you're saying, like, hey, we, we're part of what hooked that up, right? Oh, absolutely. That's, that, that's, that's been said by several different people in several different books. And, yes, it's a fact. Uh, when Kush came, the first year was a little bit squirrely, I guess I'd say. Was you know, it was it was nice uh, with Fred and Macy on me, but when Kush came, all of a sudden it was a whole other thing. <laughs> why would it be? He, he, why would it be squirrely well, without him? Like, what do you mean squirrely? Well, you got three part harmony versus four part harmony. Mm -hmm. I mean, just just uh, analytically looking at it, but mm -hmm. it was more than that. I think. Kush was probably the strongest entity in the in the horn section. Mm. What I mean by that is his influence. He was he played second to me, but his his power was so strong that it, it kind of ignited the whole horn section. Mm. It was like uh, the bottom end, like you you know you would you would feel the the resonance of him because he was. Well, nearly 300 pounds at that point. <laughs> His and neck was 25 inches. <laughs> yeah, he was, he, was, he was a monster. That's and, a lot uh, going into that trumpet. Oh, he was powerful more than, than uh, I think anybody realized. Um, and he, oh, that, that, he was band leader for James Brown, right? He was band leader for James Brown. Oh, yes. He, he was uh, Maceo and all the King's men. He was the, the arranger. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, he he was uh, he was the real deal. Wow, real, he and I got real close. I mean, it was it was a, Cush and Rick was a thing. Yeah, you loved him, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah, and you guys had a beautiful relationship, and you guys were the power of the one, right? You're saying you guys are, out of the four horns that we just mentioned, it was you and Kush were kind of, you guys were on the one, and then Maceo and Fred could kind of hang back, right? Well, yeah, let's don't, let's don't confuse this. Fred Wesley wrote the charts, mm-hmm. so it starts there. And then you've got the history of Maceo, and if you, if you re- reflect forward with Maceo, yeah. Just think about this: that he had the chops to play with, with Prince and uh, his own thing throughout uh, the world uh, on his his own. Right. So he he was. I mean, there's not no getting around that they were the monsters of the era, uh, Fred and Maceo. Right. But I'm talking about the section itself, and yes, Cush and Rick gave it its power. I mean, it was sometimes it was just amazing. <laughs> wow, man. And that's a beautiful thing. And we're here to help you represent like that. Um, before, we're going to talk about Rick's whole career. And we're going to go way back, back further than people usually bother to go. And we're going to really do some digging. But first, I don't, without further ado, do I want to talk about some of the stuff Rick is doing now. Um, Jay Stone, are you ready to tour the rock? Man, I'm so ready. Okay, well, Rick Gardner, he does. Uh, he's basically a, a music publisher he licenses his music right rick tell us a little bit about how that works well it was back in the day in the 90s i think when uh i realized that well i read some of the books you know that they were bernie bernie gave me a book as a matter of fact and it was kind of hinting at the future was going to be with people that could do their own tracks and be self-sufficient so i started thinking in those terms i mean i was pretty terrible back then. I mean, he didn't have any chops whatsoever as far as, you know, doing all the parts. Mm-hmm. But but that was what kind of the the legal side of it, having your stuff together. So that, that that's when I joined ASCAP in the, the early 90s. And uh, you have like 500 songs registered, right? Yeah, in ASCAP, it's a little over 500 now. And yeah. uh, that's, you know, it that means that you, you you're kind of serious about your your craft, and and you know that musicians, if they're not on the road, they're they're struggling as far as income. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a very difficult life, as you all realize. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so so that was the thing. It was like some of the those those writers of those books. They were lawyers and and accountants and d- different people like that. Mm. They were saying, "Now you better get ready because things are going to change." And of course, it did. Just um, just right after the end of the George's you know, later albums, right, right. It, it seems it seemed you know like a Motor Booty Affair, and right in that time frame, it was mm. like you could tell things were disco was dying, and you know the right. the, the music was going to another kind of dimension, and uh, like Don Johnson, that that uh, Miami Miami Vice, yeah, uh, that theme. Uh, Oh, yeah. Kind of, that, that, that kind of summed up a person that had his chops together and he was ready. Who was that, like Jan Hammer or something that guy was Yeah, Jan, Jan Hammer. Yeah. Jan yeah. Hammer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. him. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he, uh, him and Hans Zimmer. Uh, right. Really, I mean, that epitomizes what I was trying to reach for, to be able to be uh, proficient, okay. but then have my... my 
composition and legalities, and that legalities, uh, you know, is is a tough one. So that's why my wife, Pat, uh, she overlooks, <laughs> as Ace knows, yeah. everything that I do because musicians just have a, a, a tendency just to say what's on their mind, you know. They don't think necessarily about mm-hmm. the implications of what, you know, it may what may come of it. You don't say. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so she she's my QC. She she makes sure that all my my stuff is in ASCAP properly and that the copyrights are all uh, legal. Nice. Anything that's on my computer, there's no bad samples. There's none of that stuff in 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 my workflow. So once I got that understanding, right from say back in the early '90s, then it is a matter of learning how to do the tracks. Right. Which, you know, you, you guys are aware of that how, how difficult that can be. Yeah. Let's check one of those songs out. And by the way, oh, now I messed up my segue before because we started to talk and I was going to ask Jay Stone, you want to tour the rock because that's the name of this song. Right. And I can attest, by the way, to uh, Pat's, his wife's uh, quality control because Rick tried to hook me up with some of his jams earlier and she said, nope. <laughs> she said, you can't play those songs. So she got him all correct and she submitted the stuff that I can play. And this is one that I really like. Let's take a little listen. Go ahead and hit it, DJ Wade. Uh. It's all about the groove, man. Nice sound, too. I can see this in like a reboot of Miami Vice. <laughs> yeah, it's got, it's got the right right stuff about it, you know. I can see and myself on a boat, right? <laughs> you know, driving fast this plane. Dolphins in the, in the water. My shirt open. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Bit of sexiness. <laughs> it does. Hmm. <laughs> there we go. Nice. The one thing I learned through, throughout this uh, writing uh, is that uh, say, say, I, I go, always go back to that Miles Davis quote where he was been, being interviewed and, and he had one thing to say was that if he had a chance, he would go back and be more like Quincy Jones. Right. I, yeah, so, right. I remember that quote. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So that has that stuck with me big time. Right, because Quincy and, Jones uh, was a trumpet that, guy. <laughs> yeah, Quincy was a terrible trumpet player, but he was an <laughs> incredible. I don't mean terrible. You know what yeah. I mean? He wasn't. He yeah. wasn't all that. Right, right. Uh, he he wasn't uh, one of the major guys, but uh, Miles, you know, he was the icon of the whole deal. Uh, hey, I was wondering that since you brought it up. So you are a Miles guy. I thought you'd be more like. Maybe Freddie Hubbard or something, because you got you're just so into that power style, you know. Yeah, but but Miles, I, I fell in love with Miles the, the very first time, you know, when I was real little, when I, when I was real young. Uh, what period was it? Were, oh, I, you're talking like uh, junior high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I was a young young so just barely barely out the gate. Yeah, and uh, no, the, I mean, uh, what was his musical period like? What was he doing? Around? Well, I think more more cool, right, cool, right. cool jazz. Uh-huh. Uh, but everything he did, as far as I was concerned, uh, was just top notch, excellent. 
I and agree. Of course, I had other other influences, and and, and you're right, Doc Severinsen and and uh, uh, Doc Al Severinsen, Kurt, yeah. Those those guys were the obvious choices, and of course, Bill Chase. You know, right? I, I went Chase. to see him. I think I was. I told that the actually that's a funny story. Uh, I met Woody Herman at Bill's place when I got hired in on that band. You met Woody and, Herman at Bill Chase's place. I just want to make sure my audience catches all this dopeness <laughs> happening right now. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, it was the first day I was there in Chicago, and I went up to his apartment, and uh, we were hanging out. And all of a sudden, Woody comes from another room into the room, and I'm just like, "Holy cow! This is like amazing!" Because I flash back to Wichita, where where I'm from, Wichita, Kansas, at mm-hmm. the Cotillion Ballroom, and Woody Herman's band. 63, 64, 65, right in there. Um, I was mesmerized by Bill <laughs> Chase. Yeah. I mean, I, I had I had no idea. Um, and, the, and the same thing with Cat Anderson. You know, the, when you're a kid and you hear things like this, it just changes you right on the spot. I was standing right next to Doc Severinsen, and we were watching Ellington. And uh, Cat yeah. Anderson looked like he was asleep. You were standing and, next to Doc Severinsen. Where? Doc Severinsen, yeah. Where? At the Cotillion, at the at the Cotillion Ballroom. Oh, it, okay, it was, okay. It, it was the main. It was the main place for you know, like Al Hurt or or big bands like Ellington to come in, BC or whoever to come in to play in Wichita. It was the the big deal place. Mm-hmm. And those two or three concerts, the the concert with Woody Herman, I was like a chase. I idolized him from that point forward. And then I guess Doc was in town to do a clinic. And just so happened I was up front there with the on the Ellington band watching uh, the band. And My he and I were kind of like almost shoulder to shoulder. Mm-hmm. And he was in this beautiful suit. He was just looked, you know, perfect. And But both <laughs> of us kind of looked up all of a sudden and we couldn't, and both of us had that look on our face like, what? And that, and that was that was Cat Anderson. He he came out. What well, we thought he was asleep. Literally, he was back there. Looked like he was asleep. And all, when he came in, he completely covered the whole Ellington band. What do you mean? I mean, he was so powerful uh-huh. that his sound just covered the band. <laughs> Wow. It was like it was like a jet engine wow. had turned on. But you said he looked like he was asleep before that? Yeah. Yeah. Before that it looked like he was asleep. <laughs> so that, that so Doc and I looked at each other it was like, What did what, what happened? Wow. <laughs> How Hello. is that possible? <laughs> you know? And you know Kat knew that Doc was out there. You know he did. He was just messing with us, but it Oh, it was a really a, a great situation there. And when you're a kid, you know, those kind of things are the things that uh, inspire you. Right. And uh Right. Yeah, so Bill Chase and and Al Hurt, I saw Al Hurt there too, and uh Cat Anderson, all those big guys, uh, big strong powerful players. Ooh, yeah. And then Miles was just the fact that his sound was so much different than anybody else's. Yeah, right. You know, he was he was just the, the 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 epitome of jazz, and I didn't understand jazz too much because I kind of came up more um, well, it's a little bit of stage band, but mostly uh, uh, band and orchestra right. uh, type type of stuff. So, but so I was intrigued by that sound, mm-hmm. and 
there were a few guys later on. He said Freddie Hubbard. Of course, Freddie was great. Um, yeah, for some reason, I connected him to kind of you with that brass yeah, kind of he, power he's style. Yeah, he's a fire, he was a fireball. He, he was tuned up pretty uh, pretty tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like red clay. But okay, so let's formalize some of this then. So you're uh, like we established. You were born in Tulsa, but you're a, a Wichita, Kansas City boy. And tell me about Fabulous Flippers, how you got into Fabulous Flippers. Um, well, there's a picture. Yeah, it's funny because that, that uh, clip that you sent me, yeah. the band that they had representing the Flippers, uh, that was the band that I heard uh, with Roger Lewis. Uh, he's a friend of mine, trumpet player there in, in uh, Wichita. And I think he became a uh, professor, a trumpet professor later on. But at that time, that band was very, very good. It had a, such a unique sound. It was just—it wasn't normal for a Midwestern band. It was what, top what, notch. What is the fact? Like, what were they? They just come out of uh, Kansas, Wichita? Were they just like a local? No, no, they're, they're out of Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, KU. Lawrence. Okay. Yeah, and uh, the Red Dog Inn is what they called it. It was an old theater, and that's where their uh, home was. But they they were uh, the number one Midwest uh, blue eyed soul band, I guess you would call them. Right. And uh, so that by hearing them, I I was very intrigued. And uh, at the time, I was going to uh, uh, Wichita State, and uh, Wayne Bowman and Bob Eckhoff uh, were first chairs uh, in in the uh, music department with me. And so all, we got we heard about this band and and decided that we wanted to leave the university because it was kind of we were getting we felt we were getting stale there things weren't moving as as fast as we thought they should. So uh, what you mean your music studies or something like it wasn't? Yeah, well we we were all well yeah uh, literally Bob Eckhoff was first chair in one of the organizations and Wayne Bowman was a. Uh, he he was like a genius in a, like six or seven different areas. Besides being a great trombonist and, and uh, uh, ranger, he also was brilliant in, in like mathematics and science and some oh other really stuff. one of those yeah, guys he, yeah one of those guys if you <laughs> don't like much <laughs> pretty pretty jealous of, of that that uh, intellect and then you you joined at some point and you you're on the something tangible album correct. Yeah, the three of us left school, and then we joined up with them and started touring with them. Uh, Wayne did the arranging, uh, then Bob and I were the trumpets. So you three and, all you joined together? Uh, yes, we did. So you must have, yeah. like, you must have replaced a whole roster of guys then, or it was, it was, yeah, they they completely overhauled the band. That, right. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. So they got, uh, except for Dennis Lowen and Dennis Fredericks, who were the original guys they kept the band because that, that it was their band mm-hmm. and that you know and give them credit because they were both really really good um they had been out on the road had were roadworthy. they were good writers they were very good singers dennis fredericks was a great bass player mm-hmm. that tune you sent me um that frank sinatra tune uh it that that was his arrangement and um it was a very good he, year, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one. And, uh, you know, who would have thought that you'd be playing tunes like West Side Story and that <laughs> I know. And, and Woman's Blues all in the <laughs> same set? 
Hey, speaking so, of that, uh, hold that thought, Rick. Let's play Woman's Blues. Let's like we make this a little bit more concrete. Tell me what you think okay. of this, Jay Stone, because okay. this is pretty wild. This is this is intense. Yeah, that's Laura Nairo. Yeah, that's Denny Lowen. Singing? Yes. Sounds yeah, good. He's, Sounds he's really very good. good. Very good. Mm-hmm. That's a good groove, man. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. And, and don't forget that uh, Larry Lingle, uh, another, wait, the guy's playing organ there. He became um, the Four Seasons uh, backup singer. For Frankie Valley. Oh wow! Really? Yeah, he was he was serious. That that vocal section was great. And that's Dave Ferguson playing that he- heavy uh, rhythmic guitar. Wow, he has good tone. Yeah, I think it was a Birdland. Hey, Jay Stone, Yo. you know who knows who the fabulous flippers are? Who's that? Chicago. Oh, really? Because Chicago, <laughs> they got blown off the stage by fabulous flippers, right? That's uh, Can- the Kansas City Rock Festival. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I, I ran into those the, the Chicago guys, particularly the horn section, uh, you know, many times over the years. Right. Uh, a lot of times out in uh, A&M Records. and. Right. uh yeah, they they spoke. You know, they were like humbled about the <laughs> Flippers band. I mean, the Flippers band mm-hmm. could take on any band, any time frame. Right. They were that good. Then you joined Chase's band after that. Yeah, the that that album you were using talking that about, album something as a tangible. De- yeah, use it as a demo, right? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, that was my audition for. Um, of course, I had a, a pretty solid in with with Chase because Alan Ware. Uh, studied with my same teacher. We were uh, Cliff Sproul from Wichita, mm. and Cliff Sproul was the uh, Glenn Miller trumpet player. I mean, uh, I came from really, really good teachers. So, uh, and then of course uh, Alan went to Berkeley, uh, and Bill went to Berkeley. Right. So th- there was a, a very strong connection, and right. all that had to happen, I think, was that that records. You know, because you you can talk to talk, but you've got to have proof these days. And even back then, that uh, you can play. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So, that's true. That's very helpful. <laughs> can he play? <laughs> but you got to play with your idol. You got to be in the band. How old were you at that point? Um, when I first met him, I was 15. And then when I was in the band, I think I was 25. Oh, my God. So that's a, that's a pretty long time coming then. That's a long time yeah, growing. It, yeah, it, but... When you think of it, they they were most of those guys were oh, over ten years older than me, maybe ten to fifteen years older. Hmm. So I was in the I was the youngest one in the band when I first got there. Yeah, I actually um, 
I, I used to love that when I was young, playing with guys that are older than me. It's a good position to be in, actually. You learn, you learn a lot. Well, yeah, that's, that's the... Um, that teachers, when you think about it, teachers, what they do for us, uh, it's mind-boggling. Uh, just, just take that out of the equation and see where you are. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's such a pretty picture. <laughs> right. That's a good quote. Hey, let's check out um, some of the stuff that you did with Chase. That's Bill Chase's band. Uh, how about Woman of Darkness? It's another woman song. Everything's about woman these days. <laughs> All right, listen to yeah, this. Yeah, that's Dave Ferguson singing. Oh, okay, Dave Ferguson. In the shadow, listen to this, Jay Stone. I have to go take a nap now. <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> wow, that is that is unbelievable. That's unbelievable. That is. I mean, the musicianship on that, but it's also very like aggressive. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, yeah. moving. It's rocking. Yeah. It's rocking. Yeah, rocking is right. Uh, it's funny that if you think back uh, at, at the time of uh, Bootsy hiring me and and Fred having the conversation with Melvin Webb, mm-hmm. the first thing he said was, oh, yeah, Chase, I know that band. And, and right. in other words, I, I was like in, like, Flynn because Cause you were in of that the connection band. with that. Right, yeah. right, right. Because uh, the Fabulous Flippers, that legitimacy got you into Chase, and then Chase got you into that. And let's talk about yeah. that. Were you, were you aware of the Funkadelic P-Funk thing uh, when, uh, when you got the call? Were you aware of them up until that oh. point? No, no. Uh, James Brown, yes. Uh, right, of course. But uh, it was like a culture shock. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> not not only Scheider. I mean, there's you know we've had we've had those stories about uh, uh, how it was in those first days, right? And that this was the year before Cush came. Mm-hmm. So it. I mean, when Fred and Maceo brought me into that, it was just awkward as heck. <laughs> they had to basically, uh, you know, say you know it's cool, it's cool, everything's fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, this guy can actually play. So, so uh, in that first year, I probably did more playing soloing than any time thereafter, and the the right. reason was obvious because. When Kush came, it was like he was the king of funk trumpet, period. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody has, as I've heard anyway, has even come close to Kush. Right. And But so he, he couldn't get out of like a record contract, so he wasn't there the first year, right? So it was yeah, you, you he, first. Yeah, he was, uh, actually he was um, with Bottoman Company, and uh, that was Motown. So he was stuck stuck there for about a year before he could get himself free. Um, wow! Was, they, that band that band was awesome too. I heard them um, one of their shows, and I thought, "Oh my god!" Mm. Sure, these guys. I bet you. Wow, Louisville, Kentucky. A lot of the guys were from there. And, okay. Uh, some great arrangers, some great players. There's a lot of good and, funk in Kentucky. A lot of good musicians from back then. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you then. Um, so, so basically how it worked was you were supposed to go, you know, the story that everybody says where they usually start with you, they don't go back as far as we just did. They say you were supposed to do that gig with, uh, with Johnny, Johnny Taylor, Johnny Taylor. Yeah. And then you, the gig did fell through or something, but you were there with Fred who called Webb. No, no, no. Back up. I it starts in Kansas City. Okay, go ahead. And I was I was playing a gig in Kansas City, and Melvin Melvin Webb was hooked up with Johnny Taylor already. Got it. So so Melvin says, "Okay, kid, come with me. We're going out to L.A. to do this uh, European tour with Johnny Taylor." Well, I said, "Well, that sounds all right." <laughs> First right. off, Melvin Webb. Yeah, it always killed me that we couldn't get Melvin in in the. Uh, in some of the projects, because Melvin Webb was probably the funkiest drummer of that time. He was absolutely awesome. Was that another contract but, thing? No, it just didn't seem to, it's one of those things that just, you know, you're, whether it's luck, whatever you want to call it, right. it just didn't, didn't work out. Mainly because of Frankie Cash, because Frankie Cash wasn't going anywhere. Right, right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, so, okay, yeah. then what happened after that? So you- okay, from Kansas City, he takes me over to L.A. We get settled, and for a while we're you know preparing for that gig, and all of a sudden we get a call. No, there's no gig. So then we Damn. have to kind of scramble to try to you know get some work, and we had different people set in. I think Chaka Khan's band came over, uh, Rufus guys. They came over and uh, jammed with us one time during that time period. Nice. And Tony Maiden and, the, and the, those guys. Wow. Um, then, then the call from the famous call from uh, Fred to Melvin. Do you, have, do you know of a trumpet player? Okay, and, I had it backwards. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Melvin says, "You know, here he hands me the phone, and then we make a date to go over and uh, audition." So little did I know, Bootsy's there. You know, and I go over and. Uh, Where did you go to audition? Over to Fred's house. Mm. 
And uh, which is where? Yeah, well, we're in Hollywood. Got it. Yeah, and uh, so I go in the living room. He has a music stand, some real hot, you know, difficult jazz charts. So mm-hmm. we start reading them. Around the corner comes this tall, lean, black fellow, <laughs> and he's saying, and he's laughing. And I'm going, what the fuck? Did I, did I sound that bad? <laughs> uh, uh, you can bleep that, I guess. <laughs> but, but, but uh, no, you can say you, we don't have to bleep. You go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, between Fred and, and uh, Bootsy, they're 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 getting a big chuckle, and I'm going, what, what? what? And, and he said, well, neither one of us had actually heard you play. Right. We did, we've heard of you. Right. But when, he said, N- now, that, now that we've got that under our belts, everything is fine. Right. But the charts were, you know, pretty serious. So, uh, so it, it was kind of like the kind of charts you would never see really for this kind of project. But they just right. Wanted to kind they were actually jazz charts that right. Fred came up with. They just wanted to put you under the the gun, and they just started laughing because you nailed it, right? Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let, let's get a little taste, and I want to talk some more about this Bootsy stuff. But let's 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 dip our feet into some of this music. I love right. this one, uh, and you love this one too, Jason. Psychotic Bump School. Oh yeah. And this is where we get the famous line, I'm Rick. <laughs> Hit that DJ waves. And this is a great, listen to the horns on this too. Oh, except my guitar, baby, and some bump music. Oh, unless you're playing checkers, baby, and some bump music. Oh, baby, let me teach you some bump music. Turn me on, Bill. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue with you on that. <laughs> Peanut and Mudbone together was just incredible. Yeah, as singers, Peanut and Mudbone. Yeah. Yeah, Peanut. Yeah. <laughs> Bootsy singers. I seen them a few times together. I, I bet I even seen yeah, you. Yeah, right? they, they they did mm, lots of tracks. Mudbone. And that, yeah, the, the voices. I'm <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes Fred. Mm-hmm. That's the shit, boy. Yeah. yeah, there's the famous line. Mm-hmm. Love it. like one guy has been cloned four times. <laughs> right, right. All the hip kids gather around, standing right in front of your radio so you can get on down. 
That's right in there. Work my way through school. I told Randy, the Brecker brother guys, that once you've had Bootsy as your bass player, yeah, you're 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 done. I'm telling you. Hey, earlier you were saying about the singers. Yeah, I saw Mudbone sing with Bootsy like in 2015, like pretty recently. Um, so you, you like those? You like working with those guys too, huh? Mudbone? Yeah, yeah. Mudbone's my my uh, and Peanut connection connection to Grand Slam in uh, Germany. Uh, you don't talk about that too much, but that's a great band, a German band that mm. uh, Grand Slam. Grand Slam, yeah, they are monsters. Most of them are teachers and. Uh, prodigy guitar player uh, it's just over the years it, it was a connection that that happened during the bootsy time mm-hmm. uh thomas and toby were I, I met them and we became friends and for many many years we just we kept uh vibing back and forth so it's been a few years since i've been back over there and uh, wow. because you know my age and and traveling and everything it's uh uh been difficult to you know to do that but Buddy has gone back a few times since then. Mm. Uh, he just loves it there in Hamburg, Germany. Wow. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, actually, that's interesting you say that. We actually have a, a pretty good uh, deal of listeners to the show that are out there in Germany, some cats out there. So that, that makes sense, yeah. Um, oh, hey, let me really add, good funk. <laughs> yeah, right, right. They love the funk in there. Let me ask you, um, you when you uh, joined this project... You first rehearsed in Bootsy's basement, right? You guys all got together in his basement, and then that is exactly true. And then you drove to Detroit. Uh, yeah, after the rehearsals, we drove to Detroit to do those first sessions, recording sessions, and uh, I was bleeding. I mean, that, that was uh, seriously hard. I mean, that was <laughs> what do you mean? Welcome to the real world, Rick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to detroit <laughs> and you're talking about that culture shock right <laughs> yeah culture shock and you're you're you thought you had it together but here this is another level these <laughs> these these uh black young men are just freaking whole nother thing <laughs> right right i yeah. bet but you were right in there with them man you're no joke with that and uh that was that particular song is pretty intricate uh, even for for a funk tune, I mean, there's just all these different changes and parts. I, I love that one, but it's it's whimsical. Oh, Lucy it's... wrote some stuff that was yeah, uh, really. If, um, that first tour of '76, I think it was, we had some tunes that I don't think ever got recorded, but they they were just really good. So hmm. I have to give uh, you know propers to Boot for uh, really being a Serious, serious uh, composer arranger himself. Niceness. Besides, right. when in those sessions, going back to those sessions in the basement, he was playing that Fender, right. and uh, oh my God! Before what it, like a funk, funky. I mean, it just he was just the epitome of funk. Yeah. In other His words, not the star bass, just, not the just the Fender. Right? Maybe Larry Graham. You know, you could say that there was some. You know, that they were about on equal plane, but I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. Bootsy at that time was on fire. Yeah. Oh my God. Must have been amazing. What What was your opinion of Catfish as a player? 
probably one of the best rhythm guitar players in history. I mm-hmm. agree. Yeah. I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I totally agree. <laughs> Most definitely. Plus, he was my roommate there in the beginning. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. And so we got, I mean, it was personal. By the way, um, we're talking about Catfish Collins, Bootsy's older brother, and guitar player James Brown and Rubber Band. Sorry. Oh, yeah. He's he's everything. And, and behind-the-scenes sessions. Was he a good roommate? All kinds of pro- <laughs> What's that? Was he a good roommate? Oh, he was, he was a beautiful person. Absolutely. One of my absolute favorites of right. all time. Really? That's it. That's cool to hear you say that because not enough people talk about him. Uh, no, that's true. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. That's really cool. He uh, yeah, you give Bootsy credit for bringing his uh, big brother along on this this part of it. Right. Uh, yeah, I think he had some. He he was having some difficulties right in that before the thing formed, mm-hmm. and uh, I think this uh, you know grounded him. So that uh, the things that were they were the parts that they were working out were, you know, pretty fluid because they had played together so long. Right, right. Well, that's a beautiful thing. So, in other words, he kind of helped his older brother out by bringing him in the project. Yeah, and, and vice versa. Right. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better rhythm sex rhythm guitar player. I mean, he was. Oh my goodness! Serious. Yeah, yeah. Not not enough people give him credit. So I'm I'm just glad to hear you say that. How about uh, let's listen to a little bit of another point of view as well, uh, just because I think it's fun, I think it's fun to listen to. What were we gonna that. say, Rick? That's a good one. Yeah, heck yeah. Hello, this is Casper. Uh, calling shots. I just wanna say, oh, what a difference a day makes, baby. There it is. don't realize that Boosie was rapping and playing right. and arranging and being the band leader uh-huh. before anybody else had even thought about it. Straight up. Straight up. If I never ever have to be phony for you. If I never ever have to be phony for you. Alright, here's the banger. This is right here. Classical music that's called uh, counterpoint. Counterpoint, yeah, where you have independent parts weaving in and making a uh, like a, a weave 
Yes. So the, the groove right. is there, and then all of a sudden you're hearing this one section over here doing this one thing. You're hearing the vocals doing another thing, and right. the kids are doing that. You know, it's, it's pretty, like you said, it's pretty intricate for a little rock band. Yeah, right. Sophisticated, even. And let me ask you something about, because uh, sometimes we have a bad habit. We understand what you're saying, so we just kind of laugh and move on. But I want to unpack something you mentioned earlier. You said that's like they took one guy and they cloned him four times. And what I what I thought you meant by that is just like the rhythm and the the way even when you guys do swells like you do it like at the exact same time it's it's all it's like synchronized so perfectly is that what I you meant by that, that? The, the key to that was Fred and myself mm-hmm. and uh, because of that first year I got kind of uh, zeroed in on uh, how he attacked the notes mm, right so. Um, you know, Maceo was so good. He he just he just flowed with it, and the same thing with Cush. The, the the two of them had really good ears. Right. So the reason that the thing became locked though was because when we had hit on the one, it was like right now, no mm. questions asked. It's right. exactly right there. Mm-hmm. And, and and that way, uh, as you hear the the pattern developing, you can hear Maceo and Cush kind of uh, playing with it in a sense. Right, but the but the but the, uh, the the pocket never 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 fluctuates. Mm-hmm. Wow, that, that's a powerful thing. And then, how about so when you talk about the counterpoint, uh, were you coming? Did you come up with that? No, here's a here's a an interesting fact that probably no not many people know. Go ahead. It was uh, actually Bootsy. Uh, wow. This, 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 yeah, <laughs> a lot of this stuff people don't realize how deep Bootsy really was. Mm-hmm. Wow! So, 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 you know, we'd have a basic part. You know, they'd come up with Fred, come up with the line, or Bernie, depending on who was doing the chart. Right. And then we'd get in rehearsals, and and all of a sudden he'd say, "Well, wait a minute, you you do this," and you know, we'd we'd play the line and then add that part in there, and then he'd say, "Well, and then you do this, and the two of you do like." Uh, Thirds, mm-hmm. you know, the, the trumpets do, do, do like a little harmony thing. Oh, like that. Yeah, and so I don't think really too many people have spoken on the fact that Bootsy could do that right on the spot. Mm. It, it wasn't like it was worked out. It was like he was that smart. <laughs> wow, yeah. I didn't know like that, like like thirds and oh wow. And go ahead. This, uh, there, Bootsy was was he self taught? Did he, you know, how, what's going on there? Uh, I think he, he's one of those people that uh, the uh, genetic code was encoded with super <laughs> stuff. Right. <laughs> and later on, it developed into something called Bootzilla. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> some of that theory that he puts in his music, man, it's like. It's, Genius. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. You just call it what it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way. Um, is that him playing with you on the Disco Lady track, uh, Johnny Taylor? Because you did yeah. record with Johnny yeah. Taylor. Yeah, yeah. And those, Bernie's those, on that, that too? That was my first session, I think, when I got there uh, in Detroit, The what would we call outside sessions. And uh, yeah. the Horny Horns did many, many of those. Nice. A lot of them over there in Oakland, as a matter of fact. Johnny. Sweet. Oh, really? Guitar Watson. Yeah, Johnny Guitar Watson. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, we, oh, yeah. Fred, Fred was everywhere. I bet. Yeah. 
all at the same time. <laughs> you know what I really like? I really like um, uh, Somebody's Getting It, that one Johnny Taylor tune. Let's listen to a little bit of that. That has some pretty slick horns. Uh, let's listen to that. Okay. That's you guys that had a really different feel. Those horns are like sassy, like uh, mm -hmm. walking down the street, like <laughs> feeling yourself, <laughs> kind of like, huh? Yeah, that's kind of like a strut. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't swear to outside sessions the authenticity like I can as far as the the ones that were uh, studio, right? Uh, but uh, I don't, you know, I'd say hundreds, hundreds of different uh, horn parts in diff for different artists. Throughout that time period, uh, Fred was just writing constantly. Mm -hmm. You said he was uh, he was really sharp with um, with handwriting charts quickly too, right? Just just whipping them out. Oh, oh, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I don't I don't speak on this very often, but uh, we were in Detroit and uh, play, player of the year, um, ba 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 bum that one. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, right, player of the year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was the night before, and uh, Fred gets a call from Bootsy and saying we're going to play with the uh, Detroit Symphony the next morning. What? <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> it's like, yeah. So I, he wants some uh, arrangements. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> you freaking crazy! <laughs> This young man's crazy. <laughs> he, but then uh, Fred sits down. Not, I'm, I'm, you know, I, at this time, I'm rooming with Fred. So I'm sitting across okay. from me, and he said, well, you have any ideas? And I said, well, yeah, on that one, it sounds like um, orchestral, you know, do-do-do-do-doom, you know, something, you know, in that vein. Right. And he says, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So you, you just never know when... When you, when you open your mouth, <laughs> well, what's going to happen sometimes? <laughs> but I, I, I stayed awake as long as I could. And, and again, I'm not one of those superhuman guys like Fred. Uh, but I saw him do five charts overnight. With your, you witnessed it personally. I witnessed it. Yeah. I witnessed it. So there's no you know, way that it can be something other than what I'm saying. Sure. I was there. I watched it happen. So a lot of those charts that we did that next morning, he just did overnight. Jeez, good God! You're saying the symphony is on that is on that track? Yes. Wow. That's what, that's cool. what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, it might it may have not been the uh, you know the what they call the Detroit Symphony, yeah. but it was the Detroit Symphony players. Yeah, right, right. I understand. You yeah. know, you know, kind of like P funk players. You yeah. know, you never know if you're exactly what group of people you're going to get. And I did that a lot in L.A. for Fred. I would uh, 
do the contracting for the string section or this, that, and the other for like RCA or or whatever. Nice, nice. Uh, bring in a whole string section. And, and Fred usually used Amos Charlotte in New York, and they would uh, he would I don't know how he got them over to him so fast, but he he would get them over to him, and they would get back over to me. We go to do the session, and uh, these studio players sight read them. Wow! <laughs> so it's like. Do we have good players? Yes, we did. Wow. (laughs) My good God. That's just amazing. And it just must have been an amazing time for you. must have been such a fun life. Oh, yeah. uh, I think Fred made the comment at some point that I would probably do that for free. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. He he was trying to make a point about, you know, how he was a professional – and he was earning his living like that, but right. he thought that I was just kind of in my own world, so to speak. So that was a comment on you. You would probably do yeah. it for free, not him. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I loved it so much. I was, I was so blessed. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you got to realize that I was probably one of the most blessed musicians in that whole time period. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, I'm jealous. I mean, you know, of just you. think about it. A guy from Wichita, Kansas, ended up with Funkadelic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That's not no that's not normal. That's not right. <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> Talking about I'm rich. <laughs> yeah. He said that's not right. <laughs> but it happened, right? But in a way that makes it, sense because that's you know you that's can't take it back. Up. You know, you cannot take that no, back. <laughs> no, they you can't, can't they can't erase me no. from history. No, they can't. Every single album, there I am. No, there I, you I, are. I love seeing yeah, you on the back like of the like Bootsy a thorn album. in their side. And you know what? And you're in there too. They I mean you're you're a prominent featured in those album covers yeah, and player, stuff player of the year i yeah. love seeing you on the back he's of that. right there he's right there um by the way i neglected to explain earlier you got to go to rubberhorn.com oh yeah and i'm gonna say that again rubberhorn.com that's the that's the horn sound of my man rick gardner rubberhorn.com is where you can it's a basically a one-stop uh, area where you can find everything that he's doing check out what he's done check out what he's up to now you can check out um his songs, which he does license, and there's mm-hmm. another one I really like. It's another place where you're going to go, uh, Jay Stone, called Waterworld. Waterworld. Let's check out some oh, Waterworld. Yeah. This is by Rick Gardner, the Sweet. Rubber Horn Man. I'm trying to stay warm there in Colorado. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen to that. That's like Sade. That's funny. She called me one time. Sade? Yeah. Nice. She loved the horny horns. She did? Yeah. Oh, my God. She did. <laughs> That's so random. I just mentioned her name. Uh, why did she call you? Gig? Just to say hi and uh, You're praise kidding. the horny horns. And, Let me, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So Sade called you just yeah. to say hi? Long time ago. When it's was just this? Like, you don't you don't realize all the people that you touch during your your time and uh, oh my god that's cool Chaka Khan is another one Chaka Khan Stevie Wonder Prince Chaka Khan's a good drummer yeah yes she was Prince yeah that's Ooh, dope nice. I got story I got stories <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear them all nice Prince is easy. What do you yeah. mean? There's a knock on the door. Bootsy and M- Muddy are, and I are in a room. 
And uh, he says, go after the door. I went to the door, looked out the hole. I couldn't see anybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm going, there's nobody there. Then, the, then somebody knocks again. So Muddy goes to the door, opens the door. And he says, oh, it's somebody called Prince. And uh, Pucci said, well, let him in. <laughs> so this little, little teeny guy walks in. And uh, that was how I was introduced to Prince. Wow. Like, I don't know how old he was, like, I don't know, 15 or something. He was just like, he was like Mikey, the oh, guitar yeah. player of Kid Funkadelic. Okay. Just, they were just like babies. Wow. <laughs> wow, man. And then what Stevie happened? Wonder used to stand in front. You talk about people that appreciate the horny horns. Mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder used to stand right in front of the horn section at the L.A. Coliseum. I mean, directly right in front of the horn section. Wow, he wanted so, to catch so, that sound. He wanted to know what was going on. <laughs> obviously, obviously, he figured out something. It wasn't wasn't Fred, but he figured out something to make stuff work. Yeah. Oh my and, goodness. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's, it, it's funny. The, all the people that you you run into, and you know that becomes just who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, let me ask you about um, the. We mentioned earlier the Brecker brothers. What was, uh, yeah, what was what was the deal with them? They they would do sessions with um, P Funk, but they weren't yeah. what they, they. You guys were the horns. You guys were like the band members. But what they? Get... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were session players, right? And they were the number one session players in New York. So uh, we're cur- we're talking George, about but George. Uh, what's the the, the sex players? Michael the Brecker. Sex... No, not 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 the Breckers, but the other guy the. The, the jazz player, uh, David uh, Sanborn. Sanborn. Oh, Dave yeah. Sanborn. Yeah, yeah. He used to do David Letterman. Yeah, he he would be a session player with George every once in a while. So, oh, really? And, that, and I think I saw a show where Sanborn was working with Bootsy on one of the shows. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, um, so, yeah, go ahead. That's what I'm saying. It's like full circle. uh can't really it's, it's like gregory peck for example i'm playing at the hollywood bowl i'm like 18 years old and i look up right directly behind me and there's gregory peck sitting there <laughs> <laughs> he's speaking he's speaking uh for this organization called up with people okay and uh and uh that's what i'm getting at you just when you you start out you have no clue that you're going to like rub elbows with all these different entities. Right. You just, have, you just and it can be overwhelming, mm-hmm. but at the same Sounds time, like there's something inside you that tells you, okay, don't take this that serious. You know, you, you, you're being part of something and, and appreciate that. Right. Right. And have, keep your head on straight, right? Yeah. Cause if you don't, then you end up, uh, either, ODing, doing you know, doing too much drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of things that we know that can take us out, and yeah, uh, we end up in a trash can somewhere, right? And uh, because you know, we've done, we've gotten ourselves in Trouble. wrong kind of people, and yeah. this, mm-hmm. that, and that happens. The next thing you know, you're no longer. So these, I'm, I'm. It's funny as we're doing this, I'm scrolling down. Two billboards, musicians that we lost in 2019, mm-hmm. and it is just amazing. Mm. I mean, some of these people, it says J 
Juice World. Do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The rapper. And yeah. uh, he was born in 98 and died in, in 19. That's not very old. I know. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, then, but then there's uh, this guy, the trumpet player here somewhere, that um, was 100, over 100 years old. Lived to, oh, and then and there's Ginger Baker. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, Ginger, Ginger Baker. Baker. Yep. Yeah. So we lost him. And uh, it just, as you scroll down, you're thinking, a lot of these people are a lot younger than, than myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, hang on. But then the, uh, also, there's some that are way older. You know, and that kind of gives you a perspective that uh, you just never know. Yeah. I know, so, I know. It is a trip. It's amazing. And speaking of uh, that, uh, Michael Brecker, he's no longer with us, but his brother, Randy, also a trumpet player, he, he once told you that Michael's all-time favorite session of all time was the Clones of Dr. Funkenstein album, right? That's an exactly correct quote. Absolutely 100% true. And what do you think uh, about that album? Well, I was there. I did it. So, you know, I know how but it I mean, me. how does it rate? Like, you know, you put it up there as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it was awesome. <laughs> the, the, anything that had to do with George and, and uh, Glenn Goins, uh, Gary Scheider, in that time period, mm-hmm. then you. Yeah, the guy I was talking about was Dave, Dave Bartholomew, a black trumpet player. Mm-hmm. And he was born December 24th, 1918. Oh, my God. June twenty third, ninth or two thousand nineteen. Wow, that's one hundred and one years old. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's crazy. And he look he looks like the typical black trumpet player in the big bands back in the day with yeah. the, the the nice suit right. and the yeah, yeah, little yeah. shiny horn, just <laughs> dressed to the, the to the T. Um, but it just then then you go over here and you see a, a little oh like Doctor John. Yeah. Dr. John, right. 1941 to 2019. That's and Redbone, Leon Redbone. Yeah, I forgot mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it kind of humbles you, uh, but it, it makes you happy too that you're still you're still here and you've got yeah. uh, somebody interested in what you have done. So right. I'm, I'm saying thank you, fellas. Hey, man, thank, thank you. you. We brother. love this, man. I almost got a tear in my eye. I'm all, loving this conversation. We all got work to do still. Hey, heck yeah. Um, what, I, what I was trying to lead up to, and thank you so much for talking to us, Rick, is I uh, wanted to ask you a little bit about the arrangements on the following song. We'll listen to a little bit. Uh, Children of Production. Children of Production. Hit that uh, DJ wave. Yeah. 
Hey, let me ask you, um, so on that album, they actually do pretty detailed credits for the arrangers. So there's songs that are arranged by Fred and, and songs that are arranged by Bernie, and that's generally how it worked, right, Rick? Uh, generally how yep. it worked. So um, yeah, my, what yeah, was the difference was between... Much, they were the prime uh, arrangers for most all of the stuff. What was the difference between their arranging styles? Well, okay, so uh, Fred, his his center would be jazz, right? Okay, and then uh, Bernie, he was an Eastman School of Music graduate. Right. He was a prodigy. Right. Uh, at three, I think he was already had his chops. So that that is uh, a, a big difference. But the the thing that uh, kind of made Fred the if I was going to choose between the two of them let's say I would choose Fred because of the funkiness uh and the funkiness probably came from the the uh, jazz phrasing right uh Bernie's was more from the classical standpoint right. which was very precise and right on interesting uh patterns and of course we know that there are some jazz elements in classical music so he he was well schooled i mean he the thing about bernie is like i remember when we were playing scotland and somebody put the score of the national anthem on his keyboard and said play i'm, I'm talking about in real time <laughs> wow and, and he read the thing right down so that's and then fred when the first time i uh, saw fred he was playing some J.J. Johnson, uh, really, really serious jazz stuff mm -hmm. uh, right off the record. And I'm going, I mean, he was transcribing it. So that's the vastness of the two of them. They, they, they were seriously deep. He was <laughs> listening to the record and then writing out the horn parts, just listening to him with his ears, like writing it down on paper? Yeah, he, both of them did that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were the type that could, it's like... Uh, well, it's, for a normal person, you know, that would take them eons to do something if they ever could do something like that. But these guys can do it at a drop of a hat. That's the difference between amateur and professional. Hey, how how are you at charting, Rick? You never really mentioned that. I think you were doing more of that earlier, right? Like with flippers or how are you with charts? Are you pretty quick? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not quick at all. Um, there was one exception to the rule uh, when I say that. And, you know, it's hard to talk about your own skills. You know, you, sure. you do what you can. But uh, there was this concert that um, Fred sent us to um, Africa. It was uh, Gabon. And it mm -hmm. was the royal, royal wedding. And uh, wow. <laughs> on the way over, he says, I want you to do the opening piece. I'm, I'm wow. looking at him like, what? In Gabon? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a palace. It's a, the French made this palace for the the uh, president of Gabon. Oh my god! So it's it was solid marble, like a uh, couple blocks. Sounds, solid marble. Sounds like coming and, to America, right? Coming was, to America with Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of like that. It was it was, wow. it was amazing. So anyway, uh, we get there, and he, they have rehearsal the next day, right? So. I had to stay up all night and remember all the parts mm. from this tune I uh, wrote called The Sacred Mound. 
And of course, in that in that context, it's the woman, the oldest sacred mm-hmm. mound. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so probably the best version of it that was ever played was at that at that show, and the recording device failed. So there's mm. no recording of it. Oh. <laughs> he he brought a, a string section. There were uh, uh, Harry Kim and uh, the guy from uh, Nashville, the another trumpet player. Plus, it was like a full band and oh. and orchestra all all together, and uh, excellent players, just friggin' excellent. And it sounded really really nice. And Fred played his butt off. I mean, just tore it up. So in other words, he took my part. That ta- song would really have been mine to to be the soloist. But I said, you know, it's your deal. So you you play it. Sure. And uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> was I ever happy to hear that? Why did you get that? Why did you get that assignment? Why did he want you to do that for that particular gig? Well, it is odd. Um, <laughs> it was kind of it's cool though that he did that, but I was just wondering what the motivation was. Well, I, I'm not I'm not clear um, because we know that you know his his library his. What he has in the at his fingertips is is endless. Right. So so obviously he wanted to give me a, a some sort of another lesson because he was my teacher. You know, I just say it like that. Mm-hmm. Each of those guys was were my teachers, and this was a teaching lesson. Like, okay, right. here in in the in the real world, here's what happens. It's Somebody like, says to you, "You've got to do this," so you got to do this. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like said it's like if, and if you don't, then you don't get asked again. <laughs> wow. As in ever. That's the moral of the story. I heard you on that. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. If you don't yeah. do it, you're not going to mm. nobody's going to ask you another time. That's right. If you do it poorly, it's the same answer. Right. Right. <laughs> so true, the that's true the life of, been spoken. of us, uh, the musicians. Yeah. That's that's our life. That's what we live with. That, yeah, that's so True, true. That's, that's so true. Um, let's hit, I just want to hit one more, from, just uh, since Clones is so beautiful. Uh, everything is on the one. Uh, this is Bernie arranging, so we can compare the style a little bit too. Okay, yeah, it's a good, good one. I like the tempo on this too. stuff in the left hand of, of the the arp and that 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 sound the moog 
the, the synthesizer stuff. Uh, and it was like him and Razor both. They were, there were like four or five keyboards being played in the same piece. Mm. <laughs> yeah. A bass line play, a string line playing, and then all that cute little um, right. wah-wah stuff, and then the, the synth, synthy stuff. Yeah, it's a good and way you to describe remember, it. remember, he, he wrote the arrangement. Right. So all that goes into uh, making that piece uh, as clever as it was. Clever is a good word. Clever and cute. You hear that high note that Glenn did? Yeah. Yeah. With vibrato. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> There's, that was one of those swells you were talking about. Yeah, I love that stuff. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Everything is on the one that they all Key change coming up. Everything is on the one that they all oh, don't forget. Rick, for the, the benefit of our audience, you you describe, what is the one? Well, the one is being in tune with the creator. Mm. Uh, and the creator does all things and all things funky. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're out of sync, out of tune, out of time then you're not on the one. You're not with the, the program, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the gr- and since, since that time, like, they bathed me in the funk. They bathed me in it. <laughs> so George, George's statement that funk Baptized. is its own reward, Right. that is what I've been doing for the last 30 years, mm. is trying to get to that. You know, and you do you, you do the best you can with what you have. Uh, I don't have a, uh, any of these fellows to work with. All I have is uh, myself right. and the knowledge and the influences from all these different people. Yeah, Bernie Worrell, Bobby Bird, Bootsy Collins, Brides of Funkenstein, Bootsy's Rubber Band, Chase, Fabulous Slippers, Fred Wesley, Gary Mudbone, Cooper, Oof. George Clinton, Grand Slam, Horny Horns, Macy O. Parker, Marvin Gaye, Parliament Funkadelic. Ray Doors, Manzarek, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Snoop Dogg, and Up With People. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> that's quite a pedigree. So, that's quite a shower. <laughs> <laughs> that's a baptism. That's a baptismal. Hey, let me ask you something. This is kind of technical. Um, it seems like with your horn style, um, it might be hard to record... Um, what am I trying to say? Like technically when you recorded this particular album, the way you hit the horns, it seems like it would blast out, um, like say perhaps like the sax or something. Um, did you guys record on separate mics or did you all gather around a couple microphones like in stereo? How do you record these horns? Cause oh, it's no, blended it's very separate. well. All separate. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, that's a good point that you brought up. Yeah. Cause I remember when we were doing rehearsals that, Bootsy, you know, developed from the very beginning and started buying equipment. You know, later on, he had, a, had his own studio in, in his basement. And uh, really, really nice. But it was a gradual process. 
But the thing he did that was was cool. Was, there was a thing called ADAT and DAT back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I remember those. And, and that those he would they were digital, and they would he would record record each horn part on separate tracks because they had like a forty eight channel board or whatever. Right. So he could do that, and then that composite he would save so that you know, say if it was parts that we did on a record that they would be saved and they could be used as samples or whatever later on down the road. Right. He was ahead of the time in, in his thinking back then. Wow, that's amazing. But yes, uh, everything had to be... Uh, I mean, there's exceptions. For example, Bells on uh, the, the Horny Horn album, Bells, that yeah. tune. Now, that was uh, Maceo, Fred, Chris, and I in a circle. You know, that... that oh, really? I mean, there were... There were they, the, there was that was a very special. In fact, it was "Dog and the Butterfly" was being recorded. Hearts that 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 tune, uh, the, the group Heart, that was being recorded in the next studio studio, and that was blunt, blunt, kind of coming through the wall. <laughs> That's how I remember this. <laughs> uh, wow! It's just like Santana was being recorded on my first session. You know, mm. these things you don't forget. Right. Wow. Black Magic Woman in RCA in 1966. <laughs> wow. you know, <it's> a, <laughs> I know it's a lot, but uh, that's, that's, cool. that's me. I mean, you know, you're talking, you know, 50 years of stuff. Yeah, man, it is amazing. That That's pretty, uh, that is pretty amazing. Hey, um, one song that I always thought was really interesting um, it's kind of like a, an, I wouldn't say unsung, but it's not talked about as much. It's from the uh, Funkatelicky album, Funkatelicky versus Placebo Syndrome. I really like the horns on Wizard, on Wizard of Finance. Uh-huh. Uh, well, let's check that out a little bit. I'm going to ask you about that, too. Wizard of Finance. Ooh, yeah. I love how it starts. There's that voice again.
I don't know. That song always puts a smile on my face. I just yeah. <laughs> it just makes me smile nice a lot. Vibe. Hey, Rick, let me ask you um, something about how this worked with uh, the section. Did you say one time that, I mean, you had a relationship with George, but like George, he never really spoke to you directly about what you were playing. It was more like, like Fred was the guy, um, like the conduit, right? Like you guys would kind of oh, work absolutely. out. absolutely. Yeah. Yes, exactly correct. But don't, don't get, don't miss, don't, uh, think that George didn't know and, and didn't communicate with me because he did. Okay. His heart was huge. Right. Uh, like the the vocals on that last tune, I mean, his phrasing, his funkiness was just incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Slick. You know? he, he he was so laid. He would ha- ha- he had that term, uh, "Don't change shit." And, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, when when the thing was going right, <laughs> you know, some like particularly drummers. Right, yeah. you know, right. They would want to do some fills or this right. or that, and he You're would like, turn what are you around doing? and give them the look. Yeah, like, <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. And Bootsy did the same thing because mm-hmm. they they would not tolerate the beat being messed with. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's there's no drummer ego that's going to make that. You know, yeah. the, the drummer is there to, for time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. There have been some great drummers, but the really the really ones like Melvin Webb and and Frankie. In these early days, that that was laid. It was tight, mm-hmm. and uh, Jerome Braley, the you know Jerome, from, mm. yeah, uh, that that stuff was laid. It wasn't moving. It right. wasn't doing anything other than exactly what it was supposed to do. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, um, it was on the one. <laughs> right on the one. <laughs> on the one. Did you happen to read uh, Rick by any chance that autobiography that Fred put out a little while back? Um, I want to say like twelve years ago or something. Um, oh, the sideman deal. Yeah, he he said something really interesting in in his, and I want to I want to know your opinion on it. Uh, talking about that period back then, and he he was talking about when he first got introduced and got pulled into Bootsy's Rubber Band. Talking about Fred, and he just said over the years when you guys your horny horns would do your thing, and like we said at the beginning of this interview, you really represented. But it was kind of like maybe more of a work-for-hire deal, and he didn't get as much songwriting credit. Um, and I guess that always rubbed him the wrong way. What do you think? Were you guys not always getting credit for stuff you were creating back then, like adding to the songs? Yeah, that, that's kind of a an area that Touchy. Is, is probably you should not speak on. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. The only thing I could say was... Uh, Fred tried to make it right with Cush and I, even though uh, we were we were not uh, on the the deal. We were <laughs> oh, <I laughs> sounds see. crazy uh, with the Horny Horns. It was just Fred Maceo that got the original record deal. Uh, and oh, the, the, and the, the record were deal contract. Yeah, and so it, even though I was in, I was actually on the first record that it is labeled Horny Horns that was stretching out. Uh. Um, that. You know, cause some friction, and I think for him though, see, he he had worked with James Brown, mm-hmm. so James actually did Fred pretty good as far as the uh, the rights and uh, payment. Oh, oh know, is that true? That stuff, which which seems kind of odd. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah, but uh, so Fred was in another level. He was way, really, way above us as far as business uh, and how things worked. Sure. So I think he felt 
probably that George and Bucci should have done more because he basically made the thing happen. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about both of them would mm-hmm. not, they would not have been what it ended up being if it hadn't have been for Fred. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So I can see how he'd be a little pissed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me, about that technical thing with the record deal. Um, didn't, I saw also in that book that I quoted from before, there's a quote from Cush actually. And he said that, did you two get like separate management even at one point? Um, Cush and Rick. Yeah. That was after we left though. And you tried to get your own like a uh, deal, but I don't know. They said you had to put George's name on it. So you said, I know we wanted, you wanted to do your own thing. Right. Yeah. That was not happening. That we were at the point of, of, of breakup. You know, it was the end of that, that whole thing. And, uh, the manager we got was Robert Fitzpatrick, who was the manager for the Beatles at one point. So we, we had an opportunity to do something, but it, it just, it didn't evolve. We did a couple of projects and brought some of the guys in like Razor Sharp. And, uh, we had, uh, Kenny Loggins, uh, Richard Page from Mr. Mr. Wait, we, Kenny Loggins? Kenny Loggins, yeah. That guy. <laughs> nice. Kenny, it's fun, this is a funny story because Kenny and I were born on the same day of the same year. Uh. <laughs> You're kidding. Where's Kenny no, Loggins from? Kidding. January 7th, 1948. Look it up. Where's he from? I forget. Kenny Loggins? I don't know. But he's a, a legend. And homeboy and he from? Just, he, he just walked in off the street into the session, uh, and Rich Page was uh, singing with Cush. And so he said, Can I, can I join in? I said, I think so. <laughs> so there, there's some really, uh, really cool stuff in that era. It just didn't, uh, you know, work into to a, a recording project that that had any. It, it was too ethereal, I guess. It was too too ahead of ahead of time, and mm-hmm. and uh, didn't have the financial backing that something would need right. for to, to become something. Right, but. Uh, Kush and I hung, hung out for quite a while, and uh, uh, that just that life experience was really a wonderful thing. One thing I really um, liked that you guys did do on that first Horny Horns album, A Blow For Me and A Toot For You, uh, Foreplay. Uh, by the way, everybody, it's spelled F-O-U-R, Foreplay. Get it? Let's listen to that, because that's super funky. Check out this beat. Jay Stone loves this album. Oh, listen to that. Wow. 
See, we were we were Tower of Power, but funky. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there was there was really no horn section in the business then or now that really had this kind of effect. Talk on, about on it. Talk music. about it. Yeah, they, each one of the players was just extremely awesome in their own right. Yeah, phenomenal. I think that's the one where I take it up an octave on the next phrase, that last time around, if I remember right. I don't know how you do that without your brains blown out. Some of those high notes, oh my god. Obviously they are blown out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> uh. Uh. You can hear Fred doing that. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is just so beautiful. I just love how that, that's just got everything. And the way you guys, like, in the beginning there, where you increase in volume each time you turn around with that, uh, that's, it's just, like you said, like guys that are cloned. Is, yeah, the dynamics, that's, that's, yeah. shows yeah. that they had some musical background besides mm-hmm. uh, just commercial music. They had some training they had yeah. you know they they were schooled musicians they weren't they were no joke yeah yeah and i just wish people talked about that more or just thought about that more dynamics it's, i just i'm always so impressed when i hear it it just it just adds so much it adds so much emotion actually uh it makes it more emotional uh, in my opinion at least um you have a wild thing a clip i want to play uh from this album can we play that way that short clip you know which one i'm talking about this is from the title track How did you do that? <laughs> How did you guys do that? You know, yeah, here's here's a you you're not going to believe this, but that's actually a, a Bootsy part. What? Yeah, yeah. Um, Bootsy, I can't remember. I assumed you guys foggy, came up with that. Kind of foggy, but uh, and you can hear the intensity. This is what I was talking about about Kush. Right. You can hear that just like supersonic intensity in that uh, the the melody. He and I are doubled, you know, on that. But his his tone is just like screaming through there. Mm-hmm. You know, I generally would be playing the higher parts, but whenever we were in unison, it like quite. It wasn't like double. It was like triple. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was just and that they, 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 all that tonguing stuff. That's from his classical training back in Louisville. See, that's wow. the part that that seems very very uh, advanced to be able to that clip rhythm that's all with your tongue huh that blah, 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 i can't even like how do yeah, you even do it's, that it's called double tonguing and that's one of the things that double tongue uh, yeah uh, classical trumpet players have to learn that and there's something called triple tonguing right for those kind of intense classical tunes right 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 yeah so we well you hear like clark terry for example Clark terry used to do that a lot he would have a mute and he would go uh <laughs> just fast as mm. fast, faster than you can imagine, but that was because of uh, they, you know you learn stuff from your teachers, 
Mm-hmm. And then it evolves as, as you get more proficient, like thinking about Louis Armstrong back in the day, you know, people had that was, that was the thing. And then, then Dizzy came along and then Miles and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, as, as it went forward, uh, Doc Severinsen and, and, and Clark Terry and, and Freddie Hubbard and all these guys that, that gave the, you, you, you had to move up. You had to get better to be, you know, even in the, in the mix. Mm. Right. So that, that's why yes. every once in a while you had to do a little technical stuff just to say, hey, right. we, we're part of that school. Right. We're, we're part of that. Right, right. Just to let them know, right? <laughs> That's so fun. I love that. Um, Peace Fugue. Peace Fugue is a beautiful tune um, that people Probably don't... the best thing that anybody wrote in that whole time period. Oh, we'll talk period. about it. Well, let's, well period. let's listen to it then. Peace Fugue. Yeah. Hey, it was, time period, that was period the first, We did that. Just think about this. We did that session that first night coming from Cincinnati to Detroit. Ooh. Is that true? Bloody lips that. and all. Bloody lips and all. <laughs> Fred is playing a bass trumpet, not a trombone. Mm. Fred's playing on this song? That's Fred. Oh, I did not know that. Oh my goodness. There was no Kush yet. This is the first year. Oh, see, I thought this was you and Kush on this. It's uh, Fred, Macy, and Rick. Beautiful. Some of those New York strings. Imagine this being your first session with these guys, and you're thinking, this is the best music I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I was really shocked when he brought out that bass trumpet. Mm. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I think he, he didn't play it anymore. Yeah. That was it. He never pulled it out again. I never saw it. I think what he was saying is, yeah, not only can I beat you on trombone, but I can also beat you on. <laughs> I guess it's kind of connected to what you were saying earlier, just so you knew that too, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm the teacher, and listen up, boy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So after that point, you never thought in your mind, ah, you can't play trumpet. No, I had nothing but respect from the first time I met Fred till now. Right. This and Bells are my two favorite all-time pieces, period. They're wonderful pieces. Different side of of uh, the funk. You don't you don't think that this would be part of that, but it is. Oh, yeah. yeah, it definitely is too. Honestly, I do not know how I played that. Li- literally, my lips were bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> they beat me to a pulp in the rehearsals. Wow. Hey, um, I wanted to ask you about uh, working working with the guys, working with the P-Funk uh, clan back then. Uh, you told me before uh, I wrote down that Kush always used to say to people, don't talk to Rick. <laughs> don't talk don't say anything to rick ever <laughs> yeah i did say that and and that's pretty much a quote uh you said what, your, what it was what they meant by that was your bs that, meter was high right it, it just don't talk business you know that that's basically what he was saying right uh you know you, you need representation if you're going to speak mm-hmm. uh so don't get out there and say a bunch of crazy stuff because <laughs> it's going to bite you in the ass. They were, they were all teaching me from different angles. Nice. Even Maceo. It was, it, there was always something. It's just like Maceo and Maceo took me over to uh, Europe uh, to do with his band, that one little tour. It was a lesson. It was like uh, payback. You know, okay, you put the time in, I'm letting you have some of this. Oh. You know, and then go mm-hmm. go home and... Uh, Relax, because I know it's too much for you. Because <laughs> it was, you know, the the road was was uh, more than I could stand. It mm-hmm. was uh, very very difficult, and the that tour was typical of a of a tour that road bands have to do. There's not it's not like it's a question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to do what you got to do. We do a gig. I get a call at three in the morning. Load up the bus. Going what? We <laughs> 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 just laid down. <laughs> said, yeah, we're we're leaving in fifteen minutes. You know, so, something like that. Yeah. Uh, the weather had changed. Somebody, something changed in the the bookings. You know, all that kind of stuff goes on, and you have to be able to deal with it. Right. And when you're young, you know, you just bounce around. You can do anything. Mm. As you get older, right. It's not the same thing at all. Right. I remember Dizzy. I, I saw Dizzy in Wichita. He was doing a, a big clinic. Dizzy and, Gillespie. Uh, yeah, Dizzy Gillespie. The, the only Dizzy I know. I'm just pointing uh, out for our audience, our younger listeners. Yeah, we're, yeah we're trying uh, to teach him. Yeah, we got to teach him, and and that was what was happening that night. Dizzy, Dizzy was talking, and Roger Lewis, my friend from Wichita, he was giving him flowers. Uh, it, I think he was about 75 then. I'm not I'm not real clear, but somewhere around that age. And uh, everybody was uh, you know, praising him. And, 
and he was talking and telling you know stories about his his you know career, which you can imagine what that was like. Yeah. Uh, the the guy that uh, you know the night in Tunisia, right. all that kind of stuff. Uh, Miles, Miles, a teacher of Miles. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's like I forgot about uh, that. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what I'm saying. When you and here's another thing from left field, uh, Dizzy, you know, he, he is fantastic. Uh, when I was 18, and I was with up with people, I was in Puerto Rico, and uh, they sent me to this guy's house, and I didn't know who this was. His name was Pablo Casals. Well, Pablo Casals was the world's greatest celloist at the time. Mm-hmm. So he, and he was 95 years old. Wow. So I'm 18, I'm listening to this guy, and he sits down and plays the piano. I can actually see light coming out of his fingers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding you. It's just like, and he spoke a little bit about the, uh, he had a, a lampshade that had Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, you know, that kind of guys. Right. And he was saying, you know, the, the genius is that to, to state the, the music in the simplest way so that the people understand it. You think about Bach. Right. And that's exactly what Bach did. I mean, right. Bach. Then you think of Charlie Parker. And Charlie Parker loved Bach. And you think, okay, one thing connects to another thing. And that's what I'm saying in these 50 years. That's what has happened to me from that time I met him all the way up until now. And we're talking. That's all this. Right. Okay. It's a combination of all of that. Hey, since, yeah. you were, since you were talking about the live thing, let's listen to uh, uh, from the famous, much-loved live P-Funk Earth Tour album, Do That Stuff. And this has got <laughs> some pretty good, uh, pretty funky horns on it as well. Jerome Braley on drums. Great live video with this, too. This is um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's either Oakland Coliseum or LA Forum. Oh yeah. Listen to those horns. You're right, that covered the band. <laughs> Tempo is up. Yeah, right. Much faster than the album, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that change.
Oh my God. <laughs> that part. That's the part. Monster. And that makes the crowd go wild too. <laughs> yeah, that, that's affected a lot of people over the planet. That was uh, sure did. We're in the studio. But Bernie wrote that little little line down and then had me play it. And uh, I, you know, I was trying to think of something, and he did it in like a three seconds. <laughs> Here, play this. Hey, kid, play this. <laughs> You're trying to think of something, and he already finished. <laughs> yeah, he finished and had it on. Had me hand me the paper. So. <laughs> All right, I'll do that. Go. Hey, you were talking right. about the the road being rough on you, right? Um, did you have money in your pocket back then? Were, I mean, was this work, you know, how were you set financially during these years? Well, you get, that's kind of a uh, black hole. Uh, what do you mean? Well, I'm saying that most of the people that either died or had something bad befall them mm-hmm. was because that in between... Uh, seasons or, or tours, you know, they messed up their money real good. And, uh, okay, yeah. And you you can kind of read between the lines about what that was about. Right. And and there was everything you can imagine uh, under the sun that uh, would befall you because of some stupid things that you did. I, I I know that I think uh, finally upon Frankie uh, Frankie Cashwadi. Um, Cush and I overdid it one night, real good, and uh, he came and and bailed us out uh, of our room. We were neither one could even move. We were so out of it. <laughs> so, so you you know you think back on on uh, times like that, and I just heard somebody was telling Pat, my wife Pat, that uh, Frankie was not doing well. No, so, uh, I'm sorry to hear I, that. I sure I sure hope that isn't the case. Right. And uh, I wish him nothing but uh, peace and love vibrations. Mm-hmm. We do too. Yes, sir. We do too. I just recently saw him. He was part of that uh, that Mike Judge Tales of the Tour Bus. Yeah. He was being interviewed for the the Bootsy one and all the other ones. Um, I'm sorry to hear that he's not doing well. Um, by the way, everybody, sure. we're talking to Rick Gardner, the horny horn himself, the rubber horn. And uh, by the way... If we haven't mentioned before or made it clear, he's been on albums like Bootsy, Player of the Year. Uh, I think, did you play on All the Woo in the World? I believe you played on that. Yes. Motor yes. Booty Affair. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this guy is on all the stuff. Yeah. And it's well, we got a- some awards. We got uh, Flashlight, Funkin' Telekey, Gloria Halla Stupid, Mothership Connection, Motor Booty Affair, Parliament Live, which you just played, mm-hmm. Tear the Roof Off the Sucker, mm-hmm. Gold. Clones of Dr. Frankenstein, gold. Jeez. All the name is Bootsy, baby, gold. And player of the year, gold. In other words, Rick says, you're welcome. <laughs> I brought the gold. <laughs> right. You must have a pretty cool it, wall it, with it, all that it, stuff on there. To be to be a part of that, you know, you just put your put your little uh, website up and, you know, put, put that stuff up there and say, yeah. you know, that's what we did you know, during this time period. So uh, you're not you're not puffing your chest out. You're just saying. Right. Yeah. This, this is facts. It's this all is backed how up. It was. Yeah. And this is, yeah. It's a yo. These are objective facts. Yeah. There's no hyper, hyper, <laughs> no hyperbole, right, Rick? Yeah. None of that. <laughs> hey, tell me. Don't a, need it. <laughs> you don't, don't need, need it. it. <laughs> you know, when you've been with people like these guys, um, you know, it, it's pretty obvious that mm-hmm. you were blessed, and uh, uh, things come to those that that do their homework. 
you can talk to the kids, you know, you can you think about what's going on with the COVID-19 right now and everybody's being in their rooms and, and you can right. turn that into study time. You can right. practice your, your instruments. You yeah. can Thank you. Uh, do, do videos like you're doing. All this kind of stuff is the right stuff. Right. right. Uh, I hope that more people do what you're doing and uh, acknowledge these things that, that have happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, we wish you well, right all you fellows there in Oakland. Uh, hope all good things come to you. Likewise. Thank you. We wish you well, uh, you and your wife, Pat, out there in Colorado. Hey, remind me, you told me like there's a cool story involving Sarah Vaughn and Fred, I think. Um, oh, wow. What was that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I think it's Wayman, who I forgot. Wayman Reed, who was the lead trumpet player on James Brown's band. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, that's who the other player was. And Fred really admired Wayman because he was really a good player. Uh, Sarah and Wayman were in the back of Fred's Cadillac. I was going to uh, Sarah do a Vaughan. session. Sarah Vaughn, yes, the, the, the one. And uh, I'd really never heard any, any uh, singer do uh, parts like what I was hearing. It, I was just walking up the driveway to go to the studio, and this this duet kind of, exactly, it was in unison, actually. Uh, over there on the left, I'm going, what the heck is that? I have never heard any anybody sing that like that. Plus, the trumpet player is, is outrageous. I mean, he's killing it. So I go over, and just, of course, I'm being uh, nosy. So I go over and uh, stick my head in because I knew it was Fred's car. So I'm thinking, well, somebody, got to, you know, it's got to be somebody to be in Fred's back seat doing this. Mm-hmm. So I look in there, and sure enough, it's Sarah Vaughn and Wayman Reed uh, doing this. Or they're reading this chart. And it's kind of like what Fred did to me, only these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, holy cow. Holy cow. Wow. I mean, it was, it was serious bebop. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. And I'm going, who are you? Oh, I'm Sarah. Right. Oh. I, mean, I was like, I went into a time machine. I just, I just felt like a little little kindergartner. Like, oh, my God. Google so said, oh, not Nice. Not, yeah. All that. <laughs> That's what I had on my mind. So I, I go into you know do this. The uh, I found Fred and I said, Fred, do you know Sarah Vaughn and Wayman are in your car? <laughs> he said, Yeah. They just they came to hang out. Must be nice. Must be nice to be Fred fucking Wesley. <laughs> hey, did it? Uh, this is random, but I just remember. Didn't your uh, wife? Wasn't your wife's father? Didn't he play drums for like Glenn Miller or something? Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. My my trumpet teacher Cliff Sproul and uh, Bob Carnahan, who was Pat's father, they were in the uh, Air Force Navy band. They called the Glenn Miller Band uh, in the wartime. And uh, their friendship lasted their whole lives. I mean, it's kind of an amazing story. If you remember, uh, of course you won't remember, this is Red Nichols and the Five Pennies. It was a movie, and uh, Danny Cade played this trumpet player. And mm-hmm. 
the two guys, uh, Cliff and Bob, were really very similar to this character. Whereas they were great musicians, they did the they did the tour with uh, the Miller Band, came back home, went into normal lives. Uh, Cliff was a, a trumpet teacher, obviously, and then uh, Bob was a uh, worked for Boeing aircraft. So, and then of course he did the uh, Wichita Symphony and wow. gigs around the town, that sort of thing. But the, the point of their their deal is that they put their families ahead of their careers. Uh, so they were the opposite of the normal musician. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they always said, that there's something different about old Rick. You know, there's something odd about him. We can't put our finger on it, but he is not, he's not normal. <laughs> and I really didn't know how close they were until I you know, got hooked up with Pat. Uh, and that seems odd, being from the same town, you should know, you know all that stuff, but I didn't. Uh, I just knew you know, I was so close to Cliff, mm-hmm. my teacher, and then uh, uh, Pat. They lived only like t- three blocks from me. In other words, we grew up together. And, well, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, she was six, and I was eight when we met. Mm. Oh my goodness! Uh, my mom was uh, it's like a movie. My mom was my sister's Gloria's uh, bluebird leader, and Pat was a bluebird, and we went over to the. Carnahan's house, and that's when I met her. She was six, and I was eight. Wow, so it's, that's a long time to know somebody. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's, that's such cool, a beautiful man. thing. Hey, um, so we didn't we didn't marry until twenty years ago. Right, that's, right. That's, oh, yeah, we should add that. Yeah, you didn't get married the following year, right? <laughs> and they've been married ever since. Right. No, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah right. No, not none of that. We both had lives. We both, you know, all the music stuff happened before, right. and then you came we, back we together. Uh huh. That's it's a beautiful awesome. thing, man. Hey, speaking of not normal, um, let me. I want to ask you about this. Uh, Ways, could you play um, that Marvin Gaye hit? This is some live Marvin Gaye with Kush and Rick on the gig. Let's play a little. I'm going to ask him about it on the other side. Uh oh, it's that song. I was going to ask you about, um, didn't you get fired from the Marvin Gaye band, but they had to rehire you because they got a bad review or something? Yep, yep. Yeah. That's a <laughs> typical Rick back then. <laughs> so How you're pretty you high strong, from man. Marvin Gaye? It's like, there's something wrong with you, Rick. Sorry. <laughs> was that in Hawaii? Yeah, that was like a characteristic all the way coming from my 20s all the way till later on like that. I always was a hard ass and... Uh, you couldn't you couldn't tell me anything basically, so and I thought I knew all the right answers. Of course, that was bullshit. But, uh, yeah, Marvin uh, fired me, and then uh, it was funny. We were playing uh, Albert Hall. Wow, uh, you know, which is the most probably the most revered gig. Wow, yes. Um, 
in in the world. So to be fired out of there is very humiliating. And I think I had to walk to the hotel, if I remember right. Jeez. So the next, yeah, your head down oh, in God. London. The yeah. Royal Albert Hall. Uh, <laughs> yeah, walking in, I didn't know where I was, of course. But, <laughs> uh, one of the one of the stupidest things I ever did. But the the next morning, you know, I'd get up and uh, evidently the paper had gone crazy over the the difference in the shows. So they so they noticed. Said, yeah, there was some kind of the writer said, you know, that hey, the show just wasn't the same without that lead trumpet. Damn. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, we got to also factor in the fact that Kush was going blind about this time. And, uh, so, oh, wow. really, it was, would have been very difficult for him to read the book. He was going blind then? Because that's like 1980. Yeah, he was, it was starting, it was oh, starting to happen. I didn't know that. Anyhow, uh, yeah, that's a, kind of one of the sore spots, but you, you kind of have to... Confess, confess, and say, "Yep, yeah, that happened." <laughs> yeah. What do? Then, uh, oh, go ahead. You know, uh, Frank Blair, the bass player, who was a great bass player, by the way, he got me home. He he got me a ticket and got me out of there because things got real crazy there on the the last part of that tour, hmm. kind of like falling apart because there was a lot of um, drug stuff going on. That I was, bet. Right, Marvin. That uh, kind of made things. Bad, and you got to understand that Marvin, in his state of mind right then, was terrible. Yeah. So me I was poking that. at the bear was the stupidest thing a person could have done at that time. <laughs> I mean, I, still, I think back about it, I feel terrible because I, I should have been really? supportive and and really, you know, been humbled and all that kind of stuff. But that just wasn't me back then. I was just a jerk. Mm. You know? Well, you to learn. Yeah, man, but it's good that you, at least you, that your hindsight, you, you sound like you, at least you understood that. And you got to go on that journey, I guess, you know. You mentioned Kush. Uh, before before we leave you, and thank you for giving us so much time to, uh, today, Rick. We appreciate it so much. This has been a dream. What do you miss most about Kush? Because I know you guys were like, you know, two peas in a pod. What do you miss most about him? What do you think about when you think about him? Well, it's, it's uh, vast and deep, but the... The thing, the last days of Cush over here, uh, you gotta you gotta remember that Cush was here with me in his last years. Uh, there at the house. Denver, mm-hmm. in, in Denver. Nice. Uh, oh, I was okay. working at uh, Sears uh-huh. at the mall, and uh, I would go over and visit him, and uh, I did some errands for him, this, that, and the other. And uh-huh. we met up with we met up with Maceo. Not sure if he was playing with Prince or what it was, but we we had one night I remember particularly, and that was kind of like bringing back those those vibrations of brotherhood. Right, right. But there's a there's, there's some pictures somewhere with the three of us, and uh, it's it's kind of heartwarming to to think that uh, Maceo took the time out because he was you know he's been a big deal for quite a while now. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and to take time to to visit. With Kush and I, it was, it was sweet, a very nice thing. That's but as far as the the thing that uh, the the vibration with Kush, yeah, uh, we had Kush over here for Thanksgiving, um, one of the, the year before he uh, left out of here, and uh, you know he was about three hundred pounds when I first met him, right, 
and, and this day he weighed 125 pounds. Wow. And I, and I carried him from his wheelchair into the house, and uh, Pat made this really, really nice dinner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was a very, that's, that's what I remember is how happy he was at that point. Uh, Great. Yeah, yeah, things deteriorated very quickly. We were going to have a go-away party for him, but uh, his, his uh, pain level had gone up just through the roof. Mm-hmm. So he decided he, he didn't want to do that. But there were people that would have come and, and, and uh, to say goodbye to him. But uh, he went to Louisville. You know, he left out of here. Mm-hmm. His brother came and uh, drove him back over there. And he died shortly thereafter in Louisville. uh, You know what? I'm so glad I learned all of that, what you just said about everything, about his last days and all you guys getting together, your wife making the meal. I mean, everything you just said is, I mean, I couldn't have wished for a better ending for the man. And it's just great hearing it from his best friend. I mean, that's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, sometimes it's hard to talk about that stuff, but, uh, yeah. those are the, the, that's the stuff. I mean, that's the stuff that really matters. The buddies call to me, uh, you know, Gary Mudboom Cooper right. calling me and visiting with me uh, till you know, just recently. Uh, Didn't you say you just, that, you found some pics with you and Peanut? Uh, at uh, the, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's another thing. While, while they were in Wichita, Peanut came over to the house and Pat made some Fried chicken, I think, and nice. we did we did a little bit of recording. Oh, and uh, yeah, there's there's some somewhere some tracks with he, he and me. Uh, Sweet, wow. At the time at the time it seemed like you know this is going to go on for a long time. It's just yep. very nice for him to take the time out and come and, and hang out with us. And because uh, uh, I was you know still kind of in an early recording mode not you know not very proficient yet mm-hmm. and, uh, but he enjoyed it and i enjoyed it you know just getting together part yeah yeah it's so it's so great to hear about that you guys we've been talking to we've had the honor of talking to rick gardner the horny horn rubber horn himself you need to go to rubberhorn.com that's rubberhorn.com you need to check out such works as aquatic reflections Sci-fi mysteries. Jay Stone noticed that title. He's like, I just downloaded it. <laughs> he just downloaded it. <laughs> Cosmic Wave, Rubber Horn Chilled. I love that title. We're talking to Rick. He talked to us about his whole career. He gave us his time. Uh, he kind of had no choice. He stuck there in the house anyhow. <laughs> He's on lockdown for a while. It was really great uh, speaking with you. Thanks for giving us your time. Rick, I'm going to give you a call uh, in the next day or so and let you know we're going to post this interview as soon as we can. Uh, right. It sounds very good. It, just peace and love vibrations to you, fellas. Thank uh, you. That's thank the you. thing that from the first Bootsy album that has been my thing f- from there. And, of course, being the original rubber band horn player, yeah. uh, trumpet player. That's Stretching that's where out. Rubber, that's where rubber horn comes from. Mm-hmm. It's from the rubber band. I made that connection. You're the rubber horn from the rubber band. That's super cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we learned a lot. Now, all those stuff about Bootsy arranging horns, too. I didn't even know that. Right. Yeah. Not, not, I mean, most people get hung up on Bootsy's the big ego, and they don't realize that he was a person also. He was yeah. a human right. being that had uh, extremely wonderful skills. 
It's yeah. Same thing with George, for that matter. George was a a little different in in, in some ways. I mean, he was a little a little older, a little wiser. Right. Right. But there was a big heart. Yeah. Right, and it shows through with all this music. Mm-hmm. But anyway, man. I all hope, right then, fellas. I hope you have a good uh, good rest of your afternoon or night. I don't know what time it is. Yes. I guess it's late afternoon. Thanks, Rick, to you and, and your wife. Yes. And say Thanks, hi fellas. to Pat. I appreciate you doing this. Appreciate you. Stay healthy. All righty. Peace and love. Peace yes. and love, my brother. Bye-bye. Getting to know you Was one of the things that I chose to do Baby, I love you In the world that surrounds you mm, Now that I know you One of the things that makes life real, baby, I love you. In the world that's around you. Getting to know you is one of the things I hold so Classic J. Stone. Mm-hmm. That was an instant classic interview. Yes, it was. Probably the best interview of Rick Gardner ever, really. I liked it. If I do say so ourselves. Yeah. I liked it too, man. <laughs> it's it really, it's really beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I'm glad he was able to open up to us because you know Rick doesn't suffer fools, man. He, yeah. You know, 
He's not just going to talk to anybody. He doesn't have time for everybody. And that was really great. And he really dug into it. I cut you off before. Were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say it was just nice. You know, that, yeah, he did open up about, you know, his life and travels and, you know, his wife and how they yeah. work together and all that. That's yeah. really cool. That was yeah. a beautiful love story, too. Yeah. yeah that was really great. And we're just proud of uh, just being able to be part of that to be able to be chosen for that, for JW to have faith in us and to really think that we'd be the right people to do such a thing. I mean, that's such a comp. I haven't really processed that yet, that he would even think that we'd be good for that and yeah. that he's so down with what we're trying to do here. It's a beautiful thing. And pulling us out of our houses to do this, you know, I just, I couldn't pass this chance up. I thought we were going to go on hiatus for a while, but we had to come out for this one. You know what? I screwed up earlier. Um, before the interview, Jay Stone, mm-hmm. I was talking about Emily Palin. Yes. I, I implied that she was just in the audience. She actually jumped on stage and performed a song with them as oh, well, she did. Okay. which I didn't know. Like I was just, I thought we were just hanging out in the audience. Yeah. And she jumped on stage. And remember when I we were talking to Stymie about how he's so good at writing songs for other people. Right. It was another example. She sang lead on some tune. It sounded like, I don't know, like like a 1980s kind of new wave tune right. almost, like very synth heavy. Huh. And then she sang, so she didn't even play on it. She just sang lead. Trip. It was really good. It was just another example of his great writing. Right. Uh, anyway, I just realized that uh, when we took a break, like, oh, I, I kind of left that part out. Um, I heard, I hope it's not true, or I hope it's not uh, too bad, but I saw, you remember B. Crit Freeman, Jay Stone. Mm-hmm. He is the manager for Rusty Allen. Yeah. He's basically one of the main reasons that we have a show at all. Yeah. Um, I've heard he's not feeling too well and he's, he feels he has some COVID symptoms. Oh. I think he had them before and they kind of went away and they come back. Right. And, uh, I'm just going to send out super duper love to him. I'm not going to say anything else about it. Just yes, that I please. just, just super love to you and please stay strong and keep your head up. I know he's got a big spirit. He's the man. He's deep, deep in that Sly Stone family, that Sly Stone thing. Dope. And, uh, you know, we need him around. Yeah. Also need to shout out Monster. Uh, because he's the reason that the three of us are here together. The three of us, uh, kind of, I was going to say in this room, but I guess <laughs> we're in the other, we're in two different rooms. Um, you know, life's hit your boy like a ton of bricks. I'm talking about me, Ace Allen. Life's hit me hard, not just what's going on in the world, but yeah. also just personally, it's been really tough for me. So uh, this was good to have this day too, just for my own spirit to cheer me up. It's good to see you guys. I haven't seen you guys in a while. Yes, sir. Um, I got some advice for you. Don't read a Philip K. Dick novel when uh, there's like a virus uh, pandemic <laughs> and you're just supposed to lock down in your house. Or a movie. It'll put you in a weird frame of mind. I bet. Um, I can do it because I'm crazy, you yeah. know. But I wouldn't. It's not for the faint of heart because you, you'll start, you know, Tripping. things start to blend. Things start to seem very prescient. I'm reading this one called the penultimate truth about these guys that live underground because they think there's a nuclear war. They come outside and there's nothing going on. Mm. Rich people have like taken all the land for themselves, <laughs> and they all have these like robot armies and they fight each other. Oh wow! Uh, it's really crazy. The president of the United States is a robot. Don't don't read these books mm. when when you're there's a pandemic. <laughs> it's not good for your brain. <laughs> but uh, you know this has been a real positive experience. Um, Jay Stone, uh, one thing I wanted to say before we sign off that's very important: uh, you and I and the rest of the Funkonauts, we dodged a bullet, man. Yeah. Because the release of our latest album came out before all of this happened with mm-hmm. the lockdown. Yeah. And that was a very important thing that we all took for granted. I mean, I saw yesterday, there's not going to be any live concerts in L.A. until 2021. Oh, man. And it's like, 
There are, are people out there Jeez. who have just put out new albums, Jay Stone. Oh, yeah. I'm, and it, I'm just yeah. like, oh my God, I'm so devastated for them. And yeah. they're putting so much heart into promoting and they're really out there doing it and they're doing online stuff. Right. Record release parties are being canceled and they're oh having to sort God. of rejigger it. And it's, right. I, my heart goes out to them. There's two albums in particular, Jay Stone, that mm -hmm. I got to let them know about. Okay. First of all, my very good friend, Coffee Brown. Coffee, Coffee Brown. Coffee Brown from here in Oakland, yes. who I've known for a very long time, yeah. who is a musical genius yep. with many, many different projects. Yeah. Her solo album just came out and it is called Child of Providence. Hmm. Another great album by Coffee. It's very well produced. It sounds excellent. And it just came out. Nice. And she has a single called So Open. Okay. And that's badass. You should hear her on the drums, on the bass, on the keyboards, lead vocals back in Washington. She was with, playing with Michelle and Cello for a little while. Wow. Um, until she, you know, she figured she was too cool for her and she came here to Oakland. Uh. And uh, she's badass. And she's got an album out that you got to check out. It's so good. Okay. Also an album by a group called Sal's Greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, led by a saxy saxophonist and singer named Sally Green. Um, my boy Mike Weinar, who I used to play with in Stymie, is mm -hmm. actually a member of that band. They have a very good, also brand new album that just dropped called Bloom. Uh. And again, you know, promoting these things, trying to get these out there, promoting new music, right. you know, it's... it's yeah. Because they've probably been working on this album for a year or yeah, longer or whatever. Totally. Imagine that. And then it's the time to, you know, give it its big debut. And then all this stuff happens. Shut down. You guys, please check out those albums. I can't say enough about them. And that's all I got to say about that. And we also, uh, I'm not happy about the fact it's been a year now since we've had a female guest on the show. Mm. That's another problem we were getting ready to solve. But with this COVID thing, uh, we're going to have to put that on hold. Yeah. So hopefully I can have uh, Coffee in as well, also Sal in as well as Emily. Mm -hmm. And we got to get them in here. I'd also like to get um, Vet Stone back in here with Tiny. Remember, Tiny was oh, yeah, sick yeah. last time. So sick. maybe the two yeah. of them would come, come back last time. And we could talk more about Vet's book. Yeah. Uh, last and certainly not least, I want to give my rest in powers uh, some significant people have passed, and I just want to name uh, a few. Mm -hmm. uh, McCoy Tyner. Wow. The brilliant, uh, innovative uh, pianist, mm -hmm. jazz pianist, best known for playing in the John Coltrane Quartet. And one of my favorite albums of all time, A Love Supreme. Yeah. Uh, McCoy Tyner died at 81 on March 6th. Rest in power to you. Yes. You are fantastic. Very unorthodox style, but very good. Manu Dabango. Niceness. The Cameroonian sax and songwriter. Manu. Uh, who Ricky Vincent was playing a lot on his station just before he passed. Mm -hmm. 86 years old. Uh, he passed on March 24th. Rest in power, Manu. He loved Maceo. Yeah, that's right. And it, yeah. it shows. It yeah. really shows with his playing. Yeah, that whole take. Yeah, right, right. Uh, Bill Withers. Oh, man. Bill Withers, uh, 81 on March 30th. Um, I don't know. If, I think I mentioned this before somewhere. Maybe not here. Maybe on Ricky Vincent's show. Mm -hmm. The song Use Me, I basically use the same theme for fully mentalized. It's the basic same idea. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a partner who's like dominating you, sort of like abusing you, but yeah. you, you love it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same basic idea. 
And, uh, you know, I, I also highly recommend, Jay Stone, have you seen the movie Still Bill? It's a very good documentary about Bill Withers. Mm, no. Nah. came out maybe, maybe when 10. I was little. Maybe. No, no, it's not no. that old. Okay. It came out maybe 10 or 12 years ago. Mm. Uh, it's pretty good. It doesn't have a good title where you know it's about Bill Withers. It's called Still Bill. Maybe. Uh, but it's probably, uh, it's probably streaming now, now okay. that he's passed. Right. Also, the movie Soul Power, which is a very generic name, a good name, but mm-hmm. you wouldn't know exactly what it is. It's a documentary about the rumble in the jungle. Okay. Remember um, the famous fight between Foreman and Ali? Yeah. It was over there in Africa, but the fight got canceled, but they still had the concert. Right. And it was B.B. Uh, King, oh, Godfather yeah. Soul, James Brown. I saw that. I think the Spinners. Yeah, I saw that movie. Uh, yeah, right? That you was seen tight. That? And Bill Withers yeah. is in that, and he plays one of the most yeah. badass songs ever. Just a... I mean, just the whole stadium just goes quiet. Yeah, just him and the guitar. Yeah. Beautiful, yeah. absolutely stunning. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna miss Bill Withers a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I got really angry. There's a commercial um, a couple of years ago where there's some goofy dude with a cous guitar singing "Lovey Day." Do you remember that commercial? And he's yeah. like kind of singing out there. Yeah. And what's her name comes up? Jennifer Hudson and sings with him. And on in that commercial, I don't remember what product is for. I wish I could, because I could diss him. But um, in the commercial on the screen, they put, you know, Jeff Smith or whatever this dude's name was. Uh-huh. He always goes out and shares his music with the world, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Didn't say Bill Withers. It said his music. Wow. And he's out there singing, lovely day, like a dork. Right, right. And they right. called it his music. And that's exactly, when I say, when I say at the beginning of uh, Ace Out Podcast, without stopping to give props, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Profiting, but not giving props to the prophets. Yeah. So Bill Withers, we're giving props to the prophets. And finally, two angels are, have been created, Jay Stone. Mm. The first angel is Jeanette Dubois, who we know as Walona Woods from Good Times. Yeah. Classic show, Good Times, Dynamite. And a lot of people don't know, a lot of people do know, she sang, what, Jay Stone? The Jefferson's the theme. Jefferson's And theme. I like the outro version myself. Yes, we're moving on up. Go ahead. Wow, that's tight. Take your time, Jeanette. To a deluxe Uh-huh. There it is. This There's your social gathering, baby. There's your church gathering. Yeah. We just brought it to you. <laughs> that one part where she says sky, she just kind of goes, like she's singing so hard, she doesn't even like enunciate it. Anyway, well, we're going to miss you, uh, Jeanette Dubois. Most definitely. I wasn't exactly sure. There's the uh, sources differ on her age, so we're going to say 74. Okay. According to my research, that's what I'm going to circle in on. 74, she passed on my sister's birthday, February 19th. Uh, Last and definitely not least, 
And this is how we're going to say goodbye. We're going to play you out with something from the late, great, beautiful Tony Smith. Maybe you don't remember that name or maybe you don't know it, but you've definitely heard the song. Mm-hmm. Funkin' for Jamaica. 1980, you had your soul glow. Your boom box with the D batteries lasts about 35 minutes. Radio Shack. Another trumpet man you hear right there, Tom Brown, J. Stone. Tom Brown. Tom Brown and Tony from the Bronx. Back there in the 1980s, bopping around. They wrote this song together. Nice. And it was a big hit. Yeah, it was. It's got one of those long intros where you could just sit back, soak it in. Yeah. Uh huh. You guys, you guys got to look at our engineer right now. He's looking. He's got this mask on. Looks like he's from Saudi Arabia. Hey, hey. Uh. What? Rest in power. She was only 60 years old. Wow. Cause of death unknown. That's okay. Tony Smith. We'll just think about her life. And we're still warming up. <laughs> hey! You guys, I don't know when we're coming back, but we're coming back as soon as we can. Thank you for listening. Bless you, Rick Gardner. Yeah.